He was once one of the most respected superstars in World Wrestling Federation history. The boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels. But Shawn's disastrous mistake at SummerSlam changed everything. Phenomenal champion was robbed. The finger of blame pointed squarely at Shawn. You gotta take out Rob. Shawn Michaels a piece of crap. It was a travesty of justice. I think Shawn Michaels is a traitor. I think he did it on purpose. If a true test of a man's soul comes in times of adversity, what can be said of Michaels? Either you're with me or you're against me. Take your pick. Shawn Michaels, you're gonna have to look me in the eyes and you're gonna have to pay for your crimes. Rather than face the consequences of his actions, Shawn Michaels hands the flame. He is going down in a blaze of fire. In a fleeting moment, Shawn had one last chance to change his destiny. Then he made his choice. I will go ahead and take whatever is coming to me. I condemn you to an eternity of hell. Tonight, one of the most volatile conflicts in WWF history is set to explode. For the first time ever, The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels will face each other one-on-one. -on -one. And you're standing on ground zero. Stridex presents WWF Ground Zero in your house. Oh, look at this. Look at him with his fucking cup. <laughs> oh, do you want to say I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna attempt to drink this coffee out of just my hands, but it was a bit hot, so it didn't really work. Yeah, but look come it. on, mate, look at it. Sorry, so, some, of, some of us are refined. Do you know what? I refined. knew I knew refined. you were refined. I knew you, in certain parts of my life I am refined. Most of them not, but when it comes to coffee, I am. And what I will say is, well, I fucking knew you were gonna dig me out about this fucking cup, and this is why I ate you. <laughs> was that the one you stole from Zenos? No, I didn't steal it. They gave it to me, but yes. That's a lie. I, I saw him sprinting down the street, thinking, shirt off, because he <laughs> wanted to protect the cup. <laughs> yeah, wraps it up wraps in a t-shirt. Wraps it up in a t-shirt. He's going along shirt. I'm refined! I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. refined! <laughs> Look at my cup! Wrapped in a t-shirt. No shirt on. <laughs> right, shall we just get going? Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. SummerSlam season is over and the day before this episode comes out, Clash at the Castle will have taken place. And so it's... Come on, England! Come on, England! Uh, no, oh, hang on, wait. What, a, oh. what a show. What a show. Oh, Can you believe God. it? Can you believe what happened, lads? I, I can't. I can't believe Sid Justice came back. I know. Unbelievable. With his fluffy ankle. Lovely. Lads storm bummed man. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've done that... Can you guys do the opposite so that if I if I have to edit in the negative reaction to the oh, show, yeah. I can do that too? Oh, what a bag of dicks. I can't believe Lance Storm bummed a woman. Yeah. <laughs> really disappointing. I just can't believe that Sid Justice didn't come back. But I'll tell you what, we got absolutely hammered, didn't we? So it, it, it might have happened. And when Rockstar sucked you off, Tommy, you remember? Well, that's true. That's because he couldn't find you. That the That's true. This is, why, which is why I'm recording today with a shaved head. 
so I really fancy the blowy. <laughs> so if I, I can now finish the uh, intro I had planned, which was, and so it's on with the rest of our lives and on this week to In Your House 17 Ground Zero from 1997. Joining me today is old man Sam Carey. Hello, Barry. And also we have Barry Smith with us too. Uh, hello, Barry. <laughs> Uh, so, so boys, after having spent a whole day with one another yesterday, or at least after yesterday's, <laughs> as it was when this finally comes out, uh, uh, we are spending another few hours occupying the same place and bringing the band back together for the first time since late July. Uh, very much like uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were hoping to do in TNA with Hulk Hogan, when they <laughs> were trying to bring the band back together. And in the end, they couldn't come up with a better name for their faction, so they just called themselves The Band. It's like it's almost as bad as Bullet Club was quite a big thing. We've got three members of the Bullet Club now here in WWE. What should we call them? Let's call them the club. There we go. That's what <laughs> That'll we're do. That'll yeah. Do. But what they, what they weren't talking about was like a club, like in terms of like a group of people. They were talking about like a club, like a, something you'd use to hit someone with. Or, so or a biscuit. Oh, that would be, and like that, that would be on board. If they had a t-shirt, which was like the club, and in the back it said, if you want a lot of chocolate on your biscuit, join our club. That would have been amazing. Or on the back it said, if you like some really bad workers past their best, join our club. That would have been better, <laughs> I think. You'd say also, you're not, not a big fan of Anderson and Gallows? Uh, oh, I'd be honest, mate. I thought we were still talking about Nash and Hall no. and Hogan. <laughs> He was talking about the club, which was AJ Styles, Luke Gallows, and uh, old, uh, you know, Anderson. Anderson? What? I can't think of another Anderson. Clive not, Anderson. Not Aaron, not Aaron Anderson, or Clive Anderson, or, <laughs> Mr., or Mr. Anderson, but, uh, oh, also, lovely. you know, the other Anderson. I can't remember his first name anymore. Carl. Yeah. No, and Anderson, Anderson Silver. Anderson mm. Pack. One of those two. The so other I, I like to think of us more as three-man band. So Tom is obviously J- Jinder Mahal. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. T- yeah. Tinky's Heath Slater. And with this sex, beard i've got to be drew mcintyre because who knows i might have a binge chin under it <laughs> it's been a while it's been a while yeah. that's true i haven't seen it for a good 20 years so who knows so tinky is the one who has got released and is never seemingly coming back yeah but, yeah, but also before that point i was there for a very long time consistently i wasn't like drew galloway drew mcintyre fucked off for a few years you know i stuck around mm. and and not only that but i'm the guy they turned to when they wanted me to work with a celebrity that's true who did Heath Slater work with Oh, just... everyone on Raw, basically on Raw. He yeah. worked. Like, oh, was it when constant. they had the, the guest host era? He was all kinds of fun. stuff. Every time they had anybody on who was a celebrity, they'd put him with Heath Slater because he, they could trust him. He also took an incredible clothesline from hell on an old school Raw that was so good that JBL knob that he is tweeted about it, putting him over massive. Go on to YouTube, pause this, put your dicks away, and then just go on YouTube. Just Google like, oh, you do you Google on YouTube? I don't know. You just search. <laughs> <didn't> you? <laughs> Just uh, search for Heath Slater, close home from hell, in the ass. Oh, mate. It's unbelievable. What a sell. What a man. Tinky, you're a great worker. Thank you very much. I will take that as a badge of honour. Before we get too gooey about all that stuff, let me just quickly plug all of our other episodes featuring the three of us, because there is only... These aren't so frequent as they used to be, the three of us together. Um, Frequent. Frequent, yeah. And uh, you can take a look at our now extensive back catalogue of episodes, which, if you include all our specials, will provide you with approximately 180 hours of content, or about as long as the average time old man takes between the words remember and ken patera at the end of the show each week lovely lovely so my favorite darts catchphrase is from the lakeside when that guy goes ladies and gentlemen let's 
play that and everyone fucking pops and then i watched that because that's like the bdo and there were about nine people in the crowd this year <laughs> yeah, and it was on no. <laughs> and, and and it was shown on itv4 well it doesn't no. exist does it anymore the bdo doesn't exist it at not? All. no it's something completely different now it's like the world darts council or something and the bdo has completely gone out of business remember that like that year where we lived together where we just fell into the darts yeah. and we watched like the entire world championship but that was over that Christmas. was the pdc though that yeah was yeah that, that's that's thing. the sky sports oh, yeah, the, 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 yeah, that was the the WWE of Dart, where yeah, so uh, the, the BDO is very much the ECW of, <laughs> of Dart. Yeah, so many unprotected chair shots in the BDO these days. <laughs> I can remember Tinky and I watching a game with is it a game now? It's a match, isn't it? A match with uh, James Wade, and I think it was Simon Whitlock, the Australian. Oh, the wizard. Oh, oh, me and Tinky were on the edge of our bloody seats. Ah, <laughs> oh, great memories. That was it. I don't, you know, you know, it's a great. I tell you what, they've done very cleverly. Put that in the perfect slot between Christmas and New Year. All the all yeah. the stuff that mm. like, there's nothing else going on, and that's on. You're like, fuck it out, bring it on. Come on, let's have some dark. You could really because there's obviously like if you like football, there's lo- obviously loads of football and stuff on. But if there's something you properly want to like get your teeth like sunk into, it's a good old bloody darts world championship in there. So anyway, this is a, the, the random darts <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, and today we're covering James Wade versus Simon Whitlock from the. <laughs> 2009 World Darts Championship the PDC put on. No, we are not. We are covering In Your House 17 uh, Ground Zero today. But before we get to that, we've got a little topic. So this is more a question. And this, you know, this is not about, this is an opinion-based thing, but it's also about predictions this week. We're going to go a little bit out there. And hopefully what we're going to be able to do is at some point next year, review these predictions. Because my topic for this week is who will be WWE champion at the end of next year's WrestleMania? That is the question to put out there. Now, who wants to go first and take the obvious answer. <laughs> I'll go. A return in Val Venus. Oh, oh yeah. yes. sounds lovely. After after that a win, after a rumble lovely. win. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's what he's talking about. My great prediction from 15 years ago is going to finally yeah. come true. I mean, he, last time I saw him, he was talking to those police officers, and he looked in great shape. <laughs> you know, he's in really good shape. He looked like a man who really looked after himself. And I thought, you know what? This is his run. This was about four years ago, though. But anyway, all joking aside, the obvious answer is Cody Rhodes. Mm. But the less obvious answer is Randy Orton. I, mm. I reckon I reckon they've got one more in him, but I don't know whether I don't know. I might talk myself out of this in about four seconds because it would mean him probably winning it at Mania. So I'll go Cody Rhodes and failing that, the returning ghost of Dusty. <laughs> So you you are convinced then that I assume that Roman Reigns is going to go into WrestleMania as the champion. Is that is that fair to say? You know what? I think, and this will age incredibly poorly, I think. <laughs> but I think that the day that this is released, the day before, us, shirts off, would have watched Drew McIntyre beat him. I thought for a minute you were going to say us, shirts off, would have beaten Bro- uh, would have beaten oh, Roman Reigns. The running. Oh, Imagine no. that. The, the, oh, it'd be amazing. I'd be like, I don't, we, it's going to take us ages. We've got to come down from the fucking nosebleeds to get, the room, get down there all, all out of puff and and then we get the old finger poke of doom on roman reigns that's right roman reigns will have to look like a proper jobber as well I have to wait for us mm. to get to the yeah. ring as we yeah, got yeah. a really elaborate entrance yeah. it's like we both as we like all three of us try to like vault over the fucking railings <laughs> like i fall land on the shit myself <laughs> 
before we get in the ring, we do that awkward pose that we did outside the fucking rail. All three of us try to do it on the steps, but there's not enough room. So we're like, we keep falling off. Can't. And then like, Tom's just got a massive fucking, fucking shit stain all down his back. From <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, is, is a skid mark showing? <laughs> Uh, old man would definitely fall over getting into the ring trying to get into the oh. ring you, 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 I know your man because he'd be like I'm not getting through the middle and top rope so I'm going to try and do like the women's or the women's or the room <laughs> entrance you get out and catch your foot on the bottom face down <laughs> smashing those <laughs> like fucking hell that's a done Tommy's shame basically we're down to Tinky Heath Slater can't compete with Roman Reigns Come on, not on his own That ain't gonna happen Oh, yeah (laughs) Well, what what, what a time that was, lads I can't believe we're the universal (laughs) champion (laughs) And who are we gonna lose it to In the main event of WrestleMania then? Or are we gonna defend it successfully there? Getting back to this series I got a feeling that they kind of They don't get this right very often But I feel like they need to pull the trigger On Mac and Fart Because I think he is What I've seen, little clips I've seen He is peak popularity at this moment in time and a bit like we talked about with Daniel Bryan when we did WrestleMania 30 and also when we did SummerSlam like the difference in those things that you went into great detail about thinking I feel like if they don't do it now they will have fucked themselves forever it's interesting I don't I I don't forever (laughs) together I don't feel like we're in that position with Drew McIntyre but then in fairness I haven't watched it and we're still as we record this not up to the four week period uh, that's passed (laughs) in order for me to watch it on the WWE Network so who knows maybe I'll have a completely different viewpoint in a couple of weeks time but I think they're still kind of listing Roman Reigns as both WWE and Universal Champion I know they're kind of calling him the WWE Universal Champion but they've also kind of still have them as separate belts there's something unofficial about it anyway that they're kind of not truly unified so I feel like what they could do at some point is have Roman Reigns lose a match but then him come out with Heyman and Heyman almost say look the contract we wrote was for the universal title Roman Reigns is still the WWE champion so something really heelish like that something like really slimy and, and sly which allowed them to separate the other belt again because I quite like there being two champions now I've decided I, th- I think I prefer it to just one I don't know why it's stupid but I, I quite like it gives you more to, to work with going into a Wrestlemania and I just don't really trust them to come up with one big match at Wrestlemania which is for the title no I know what you mean I, I don't think it'll be Roman Reigns I, I've got a feeling because it's in Hollywood next year and I've got a feeling that it might be Roman Reigns versus The Rock in the main event, but not for the title. Mm. Like maybe Roman Reigns, and then Roman Reigns can have probably quite fairly a well-deserved break. I think after for for a couple of months. I know he's kind of on a like a, a very reduced schedule at the moment, but give him some time off after maybe jobbing to The Rock at WrestleMania. So uh, the, and The Rock can have his final goodbye as a wrestler. Who would I think will be the top champion? I think they will be split the titles again at that point, and. Cody Rhodes is a very good shout for one of the titles. I think that's a great shout. I wonder if Austin Theory, or Theory might be, because people seem to be very high on him. I think if Vincent Mann was still there, I think Theory definitely probably would have come out because Vincent Mann was very high on him, apparently. But with that, I also quite like the idea of Big Riddle, Big Rids having having the championship, because again, he's super popular, and maybe they could have some feud, maybe with Randy Orton going in as the champion and have Riddle win it from him. That's a story that, that they could tell quite well and quite easily, I think. So my heart says, no, my, my bollocks say riddle 
Yeah. And my asshole says theory. I'm going to predict that Riddle will be champion coming at WrestleMania. I don't know why, but I would like them to do it so that he wins the Rumble, beats Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and then coming out of WrestleMania, they build to, towards maybe SummerSlam, Randy Orton mm-hmm. versus Riddle, where maybe immediately after after he wins the title, they're kind of like Randy celebrating with, celebrating with him and everything. And then gradually gets more and more pissed off at the fact that the spotlight's all on Riddle, that... Orton's having to play the friend and therefore can't challenge for the title and gradually build that into some kind of program that then kind of gets them to a head at SummerSlam, which would be their main event against one another. There's something about Randy Orton versus Riddle at WrestleMania that bothers me, and it's because it's what Randy Orton does now, or somebody does every year, which is basically team with someone and then break up just in time for WrestleMania and have them have a match. And I just think, go in a different direction, you know? And, and I think I guess we've got a good chance of them going in a different direction at the moment because Triple H obviously is now in charge, someone different, someone a slightly different view on how things can go so that's what i'd like to see something like that uh, obviously they uh so the day that we're recording this is tuesday the something of something <laughs> what is it it's the 23rd of august i think yeah yes. that'd do but it's a pity matt's not on here well man you probably wouldn't made it because i'd imagine he is in a pool of his own semen yes because johnny gargano returned on raw last night i did think actually i was like oh there's a little dark horse what I'd like to see them do is to have, like, you you boys have talked me into the two titles, so I appreciate that. If you had, like, a Cody Rhodes versus Johnny Gargano thing, and you could have, like, inverted commas, old school style that isn't really old school but isn't Smash Mouth match between those two cunts, and then you could have the Roman Reigns and the Rock thing that would just be them doing finishing moves on each other for 23 minutes until the rock has to gas out because he's an old man now and he's big he's really really big he is he's almost as big as you think isn't he close to close not quite I think if if they have Roman Reigns versus the rock I think it should be for the title and I think Roman Reigns should Mm. win I I I think they go in for the title Roman Reigns wins because it doesn't hurt anyone it makes perfect sense Roman Reigns you keep this really long title reign Uh, he goes in as champion faces the rock beats arguably the biggest challenger he's ever faced and then you can still deliver him to SummerSlam against somebody who can then beat him so if they're going to do it then have it for the title and or at least have it for one of the titles like i said maybe maybe separate the titles like i said previously but then have roman reigns against the rock for the other one but you don't want the point is you don't want the rock winning the rumble that's the key you don't, you don't yeah. want that to have to happen really i'd like to think that the rock would lose to roman reigns and then hogan comes down uh, <laughs> in true wrestlemania 9 style and he goes rockish like do it and he's like, no, Hulk, you're old. You can barely move. It's all right. I can do it, champ. And he gets speared into the retirement home and he loses. Sounds good yeah, to me. And everyone yeah. everyone goes home happy. Exactly. Everyone. Right then. Let's talk about In Your House 17, Ground Zero. Quite unique in one respect that we haven't covered many shows where we've covered the one directly before it before. Mm. But we have this time around because it was SummerSlam. This is the pay-per-view that comes after SummerSlam Night 7, which we covered last year. And um, what was our expectations going in? I'm going to start with you, old man, because obviously you watched that. You were one of the people who reviewed that SummerSlam mm. 7 uh, show last year. So did that impact your expectations at all for this it did to be honest because we talked about the main event in that show that is undertaker brower sean michaels guest referee it's cracking stuff it's absolutely corking and i was like you know what we're gonna get a match with two of those three i was predict i know when i say that i'm good at this prediction stuff i haven't been through what we can but 25 years later i got this bang on it was sean michaels undertaker <laughs> and uh yeah i was like you know what 
I'll fucking get up for that. Then I was a little bit like, who does Brett face? But I was like, you know what? The uh, Shawn Michaels Undertaker might have been the semi-final spot or the final. And I was like, you know what? That's going to be cracking. And you know on these in your houses, this is the first three hour in your house. Yep. Which they say right at the end, which I was like, ooh, bit of history. <laughs> and then... uh and then Frankie Howard left and I went, oh, that's a nice bit of history. Yeah, I knew there was going to be some absolute shit as well, but I was confident that the last two matches would deliver. So I was pretty up for this, to be honest. Tom? Uh, yeah, so expectations. I've definitely, I've definitely never watched this. I've never seen this before. Mm. And I knew, like you said, oh man, I knew it was going to take place after SummerSlam 97 because SummerSlam season just finished. In fact, quick aside, if you guys won't mind. The other... Uh, so talking nah, about fuck summer, off, we do mind, fuck you. No. <laughs> <clears throat> talking about summer, it's been very hot, hasn't it, this year? I think we can all agree to that. And I was chatting to my dad the other day about weather. You know, we we're in a queue for something, so we were talking about it. And he goes, um, it's, just, it's hot, been hot this year, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, something happens when you get your older. Okay, strap, strap myself in for this one. I was like, what happens? And you get older, Dad. He's like, you sweat in different places. And I was like, okay. He's like, so I get it in here, and he points to like his the crease of your where your elbow, like the inside where your forearm meets your bicep. Because sweat in there a lot more, a lot more under under here, under the old moobs. But um, I'll tell you what, I'm not to talk my bollocks once this year. <laughs> Your dad. Oh fucking hero! <laughs> he said it to me with such like he, he almost like grabbed my arm like you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> so I, I've actually got a question on the back of this. Have you ever talked your bollocks? Never. No. No, but I, I might have to try it. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Sounds absolutely lovely. I don't know. I can't imagine. Like I'll be honest, with you, lads. It's a mess down there. Some some days this year when it's hot, and I can't help but imagine it'll turn into like you know like paste. You know like when, yeah. when Ross tries to talk <laughs> these leather trousers off in friends, and it turns into some kind of paste i can imagine that oh, happening lovely you know what lads i've got a question for you boys actually so i lost stick for this last night so you know and i don't want to say the word so i don't want to don't want any recency bias going on so you go to the toilet right and there's the little like ceramic things on the walls what do you call them tiles no 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 where where you where you do your wee oh what a urinal yeah tinky yeah or the bog yeah the urinal yeah so i said urinal someone last night an american lady and she fucking pissed herself like not in a urinal <laughs> she did piss herself because she didn't piss in the urinal or she um, did piss herself like you would do in a urinal i don't well, you know piss I yourself in a urinal would you You'd well it's true urinal. but yeah. you know i'm just trying to understand the sentence old man but it together. was just mortally offended because i was just like i've said urinal and then she said Oh, it's urinal. And I was like, oh, yeah, because it's urine. No, that's just an American thing. No, well, I don't know, mate. I don't know, mate. I'll be honest. My confidence was not. Nah, bollocks, <laughs> mate. You should have said, fuck off. Get back home to America. <laughs> Clearly, you're here now. It's a urinal, mate. Yeah, and it's fucking called uh, aluminium as well. Not aluminum. <laughs> aluminum. Though we do know that old man is notoriously a big fan of uh, eggplant uh-huh. and, uh, and cilantro. So yeah. maybe this is the one. Maybe. I'll tell you what, though. To be fair, I didn't like eggplant very much until i was around yours tommy and you salted the eggplant before you cooked it and it was delicious because it took all the moisture so it wasn't like greg wallace says slippery aubergines oh you imagine if he said slippery eggplant oh that'd be disgusting wouldn't it it's even worse do you know what, what old man doesn't know is that I actually jizzed on the on the <laughs> And it was beautiful. And, and, and you know, I don't even like aubergine, so I didn't have any. So it was a perfect crime. <laughs> you know what? When I when I was eating it, I did think I was like, this tastes just like love muck. I thought, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Specifically Tom's love yeah, muck. Like, yeah. Real nice, real, real nice cummy quality, this egg <laughs> 
Well, what was strange is that I was devouring it and your wife was like, God, bloody stinks, this. It tastes like bloody mushrooms. I'm sick of this. So uh, at the, uh, the risk of trying to get back on topic, uh, yeah, my yeah. expectations. Oh, I haven't finished mine yet, mate. Oh, God, fuck it. I'll hurry up about it then. <laughs> so, so anyway, like I said, I knew Brett would be a champion. So I'm looking forward to Brett Hart match I'd never seen before. Possibly some early DX stuff. And I was looking forward to it in general. But I was aware that despite being on the poster, Austin won't be wrestling. Because obviously what? he was locked with his neck. There you go, Tiki. You can go. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say now. Um, So I was broadly interested in this because this is, as they say, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker's first ever match. So, and I always found that I remember at the time finding that amazing when they'd only been in the company together for seven years or six and a half years, I suppose, actually. But it blows my mind even more now because it feels like that never happened. That just doesn't ever happen now. You'd never get a new combination of wrestlers facing each other for the first time after such a long time, especially as they're both main event talents feels crazy to me yeah i guess i'm trying to think what the kind of why their paths wouldn't cross and the undertaker is kind of upper mid-card main event straight from his arrival in 1990 wasn't he Shawn Michaels would have been what since when was the barbershop window was that 92 when the Rockers split up 92 so from from 92 through to like 95 he would have been upper mid-card as well like I guess genuinely their paths didn't cross because like The Undertaker always kind of up until that point always fought kind of monster of the month didn't they like Mm, they'd bring people in for him to fight and then they'd go and then they obviously had the longer the longer feud with Kane and maybe at that point they kind of they were like do you know what we can put him against smaller people and still have it believable that they might win after maybe the matches with mankind and maybe that was how it kind of worked perhaps well i tell you what so i just very quickly because i really wanted to look this up wanted to do a bit of research on it that actually it wasn't their first ever match it was almost their first ever match but they did have and this is this is why i was really impressed because they've only ever had one singles match before this and it was on a house show in 1995 but it was only once that's even more incredible you'd have thought that Shawn Michaels and Undertaker would have fought each other on house show circuits somewhere along the way and done a whole loop but they literally had only done it once prior to this so I, I almost kind of let them off for ignoring that because that genuinely is really small fry but yeah. I you know if they'd have done like 20 dates I think mm, that's not really true but once before this match is quite incredible so that was obviously a big deal I was looking forward to seeing this one because it's the, it's the one match of theirs that I haven't seen I think I, I think I've seen pretty much all their other singles matches against one another and then on top of that you've got British champion it's a it's an interesting time it's brian pillman's last ever pay-per-view as well there's the austin how they're dealing with the austin injury stuff which i was quite interested to see so yeah i was was quite looking forward to this not necessarily thinking the quality was going to be particularly high but but quite looking forward to all the same so talking points who wants to go first i know oh man a couple of weeks ago you suggested that you forget that this even happens each time and then you forget to think of something to talk about has that happened again today you know what it actually hasn't so yeah obviously the listeners know i've had a couple of weeks off so i'm recuperated yeah Yeah, come back come back with some kind of cold thing but it's quite a tough thing to pick apart this show because there's the obvious but we all know i don't like to go for the obvious we all know that surely now you could double cross us and go because i you don't no one thinks i go with the obvious i'll go with the obvious thing nah i'm gonna go for the booking masterclass that is savio vega farouk and crush (laughs) cool okay which which is legitimately one of the most ghastly things I've ever seen in wrestling. (laughs) I mean, we've had multiple bollocks crashing together. This is three bollocks 
that don't know the other two bollocks are there and they're just running around like pinball style. This is so fucking ugly. This was my words again, truly horrid. This is one of the toughest 11 minutes 37 I've ever had. And I once masturbated with barbed wire. <laughs> okay. So I'll give, I'll run through the match. I like, Hey, hello. Oh, amazing. This baby Shinsuke's made, a, made an appearance. Baby He's waving Shinsuke to you, Nakamura. Lads. Love it. Love I can't chance to her dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Old man, wave at us if she waves back. Oh. She's not even looking. She's not even looking. <laughs> Come on, Shinsuke. Sorry about that. Well, no, not sorry about that. Fuck you. That's ah, it's a bloody treat. To be honest, that's, that's the best thing that we've put together. <laughs> <laughs> She's been the most coherent out of all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the match is Savvy Vega versus Farouk versus Crush, each representing their respective factions. It's 11 and a half minutes long and it ends when Crush hits Farouk with a heart punch, the uh, old special move that Stan Stasiak used to use in the 70s. And then Savio Vega hits Crush with his spinning heel kick and gets the pin. Yeah, I think also this is potentially the first ever triple threat match in WWF. I'm glad you said that because they go through the rules about 83 times. And mm. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is the first. And I think it's the first four-way elimination match as well. Later on, yeah, in the show. Yeah. yeah. What I like about this is that they, this obviously, as you said, thinking the first ever triple threat match, and they thought, and I want to have some more of that. <laughs> so I might take it that you felt the same way as old man, Tom. It was fucking dreadful. I loved everything about this match until it started because <laughs> I, do you know what? I bloody loved the, the, the original Nation of Domination and then mm. it's split up into the three groups. I really like that. But like everything until the bell rings is great. There's a, there's a great promo at the beginning where Crush says he's going to drive his bike up all of their asses, which I, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. And there's a really hairy member of Los Bariquas. But what's yeah. so weird about this, right? This is a triple threat street fight in which there's no semblance of a street fight at all. Mm. It's just a, sh- a straight up triple threat match. There's no involvement from any of the rest of the gangs at all. So you don't get anything. You don't get anyone. You don't, you don't get to see D-Lo, You don't get to see The Rock. You don't get to see, you know, Chains. You don't get to see any of the, any of the big, any Jesus was one of the, one of the Los Barricos, I think. You don't get to see any of the, any of the lads. And it has got my favourite ever, I think my new favourite ever botched spot. It is a, an attempt at a swinging neck break, breaker <laughs> from Sabu Fig on Farouk. And Farouk sells it the wrong, in the wrong direction. <laughs> the ground. And at that point, JR goes, it's going on, I. <laughs> oh, God. There's a bit in this match. This is what you're saying, about it's, it's just lots of walking around. In <laughs> lots of walking around. And, and the, the crowd are really not into it as well, because the, the, the crowd, the, the noise of the crowd is really unusual, because it just sounds like there's just a bunch of people just chatting in the back background which is what you think it is there's a bit where um farouk and savio vega fighting and crush is just wandering around sorting out his ponytail (laughs) it's just awful the only good thing about it is that there's a period in the match where savio vega keeps getting thrown out of the ring he keeps basically crushing crushing um farouk are fighting and then they start to go at it and vega then comes back into the ring breaks him a pinfall then gets chucked back out again and that happens about four times and there's a bit in it as well where savio vega and crush hit a spike pile driver on Farouk where I think Vega, I think his crush is doing the actual pile driving and, and Vegas doing the spike bit and I think Vega comes off of the rope about a second or two after the pile driver actually happens yeah. it's absolutely dreadful and the word gas the old man is 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 well and well and truly true correct and the other thing that I thought about this which made me feel a little bit like is that for no reason can I see why Los Bariquas or the nation are heels and that the DOA are baby faces other than the fact the baby faces are white which is a bit yeah. do you know what I mean like they're, they're all the same but we're going to make the, the black and brown people 
evil and keep the white people the faces, which made me think a bit like, eh, fuck off, 97. That was very much James's point, I seem to remember, at SummerSlam 1997. Yes. Now, this is indeed WWE's first ever triple threat match. It is the first one they ever did. They didn't return to the gimmick until June of the following year, so that's how much they thought of this. <laughs> uh, what was in that one? Uh, that was Ken Shamrock, Owen Hart, and Triple H. Um, oh, I thought that's, that's so much better. <laughs> you know you know what? Remember when they made a big deal of these triple threat cage match, the first ever triple threat oh. cage match, which was a great match, but it was only the fourth ever triple threat match in the company it wasn't like they didn't do tons of triple threat matches and then someone went oh we could put it in a cage they just graduated to the the cage match very quickly i gotta be honest i must have been on a different planet when i was watching this not because i thought it was immense or great or anything but i've got in my notes lots of evidence to the fact of what you're talking about like oh this is rubbish like nothing holding this match together i've noted the bit where vega goes for a neck break on fruit but they spin in different directions and everybody goes the wrong way i've got all the notes that say this is a bad match and then gone pretty good at the end <laughs> i'm like what has happened there um, and my memory of this and again I, I can only as i said i can only say i'm on another planet is that yeah it was a bit disjointed yeah it was a bit uh poor but i quite enjoyed it and i don't know why <laughs> i can't i can't imagine why i enjoyed it but anyway that's my memory of it now my other memory of it is that in the front row there's somebody with a sign which says nation of masturbation which i uh, oh, oh, yes. classic little bit of uh wordplay there yeah, yeah pretty much yeah absolutely and also the result interested me because again it feels like the wwf really thought something of Xavier vega like i can't i can't explain it but obviously he, he had the great run in 95 when he had the, in the king of the ring where he got to the final and had won three matches already that night and then lost his in the final against mabel in his fourth match then they then they pushed him pretty hard there then he was obviously in the nation of domination but when they came out of that how does Xavier vega win this match how's he the one that they're spotlighting like he's he's been around a while he's never really done anything he's the one that they get in to like replace Shawn michaels in the no way out of texas eight-man tag match main event which is obviously uh you know infamous for how underwhelming it is they just they just seem to really quite think something of Xavier vega and i don't really know why i knew I... that um austin always spoke very highly of him they're like in i remember listening to his podcast years ago when he was talking about being in match with Xavier vega and he's like you know Xavier vega tough kid tough kid from puerto rico you know and that is that talking very highly of someone is <laughs> austin it is yeah i think so well he has the strap match where the lights go out mm. with him doesn't he yeah yeah and I'm, i i can't believe i forgot to mention this but so in fairness to these cunts it's not good at all it's like ugly as shit they try their best because farouk goes to the top rope at one point and comes off it about as gracefully as i would <laughs> crush gets uh, Farouk in the electric chair, which is admittedly very impressive, especially for a man of Crush's ability. But it's all undone, uh, you both mentioned it, by the neckbreaker. <laughs> the neckbreaker, like, the best thing about that is that Farouk gets pissed off just boot Savio Vega in the head. And I'm like, hang on, mate. I'm no, I'm no wrestler, but I think you might have got that wrong. So he's just like, fuck you, man. Just boots him in the head. <laughs> a, a little quick note on Savio Vega. So a couple of days before this, I was reading that he's, uh, before we're recording on the 24th of August, went into hospital. Oh. And apparently it's quite serious. So hopefully by the time this comes out, it'll be all good. 
Go on, Savio. Best worker ever. I also, in this match, i got to make a quick quick reference to Mike Kyoda's counting, because I don't know if this is reasonably... He'd been around... I think he'd already been around for a bit before this, because I seem to remember him in a blue shirt with the, with the little dicky bow, mm. so he must have been around for a while. But he is assaulting the mat yeah. in this match, in this match with his pinfalls. Maybe because he's like, I don't want Ron Simmons to not think I'm hard, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna smack the mat as hard as I can. Oh my goodness, he, I'm surprised he didn't do a bloody Sami Zayn and rip his shoulder out when, like, when he he made that and he had that match against John Cena and also there's a great bit of commentary because Vincent Mann is obviously on, is on commentary in this and he um you know he does this one two but he goes one two and yes and obviously it wasn't a pin and he goes ha ha like an impartial which is which is lovely one to no yes no no he does that i can't remember what match it is but he goes no yes no there's like a reversal of pins i think it's the bret hart patreon match and he's like one two yes no no yes 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 and, and king's next to him and he's just like <laughs> that uh pretty much covers that match and thankfully we don't have to return to it now because we've already covered it so tom what's your talking point uh not necessarily a match or an individual in particular but what i just wanted to note was that obviously there are seven matches on this card so one minute, one and all of them apart from two just scott puts versus brian christopher and the uh max mini versus el torito have all got reasons for them to happen so you've got mm. the opening match goldus versus brian pinman pinman brian pinman brian pinman brian pinman that's a new uh gimmick for someone that is basically that, that they won't allow submissions they'll only pin people and yeah. then it's brian pinman yeah i like that, I like that idea. so there's that's the indecent proposal match uh, where there's been a long-standing rivalry between Brian Pillman and, and Goldust and Marlena. You've got the the street fight that we just spoke about um, between, you know, the broken up nation and, and their kind of fallout from that. Then you've got the um, headbangers versus the Godmans versus the Bulldog, uh, Bulldog and versus the Legion of Doom and, and a tag title match, which is a, as a direct result of Stone Cold Steve Austin's neck injury and having to submit the, the titles, which I'm sure we'll go talk about later. Then you've got the Patriot versus Bret Hart, which you could kind of think this is just like a placeholder between them from between some slam and, and the next big match that he's going to have but there's prior history in terms of not only Bret Hart um, being very anti-American and he's facing someone called the Patriot but also the fact that the Patriot has already beaten him so they've already got like a bit of history there to build, build into and the main event which is the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels which is which obviously kind of started at uh, SummerSlam 97 and kind of culminated in the pay-per-view the following month in the Hell in the Cell so I just thought it was really really interesting though. there are so many matches that had like a reason to happen which was really really refreshing to me because you don't often get that these days it did feel a little bit like a transitional pay-per-view like a bit of a placeholder because of the fact that obviously you know you've got the Undertaker like, do you know I could concentrate on the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels match actually because that to me really felt like it's a placeholder for Hell in a Cell this match exists so the Hell in a Cell match can happen well let's just talk about what you said about the okay. every match having kind of a reason to take place because I think again it's, it's worth putting this into context into timeline context which is that obviously WWF are in a bit of trouble so as we said at the top of the show this is the first in your house that went three hours and from then on they would offer the three hour pay-per-view at the increased price of a normal pay-per-view price the original in your house pay-per-views were cheaper than the rest of them 
them because they were less time. By putting them up to three hours, they were now able to charge more, which meant they could get more income from these pay-per-views, even if they lost a, you know, 10% of the amount of people that signed up to them because the the money was higher. Overall, they got more money in. And Stephen was talking about it last week on our SummerSlam 92 show about how there was even rumours about the fact that WWF were going to shrink back their live event touring schedule to just the Northeast again as basically becoming a regional promotion once more because they were really struggling because WCW were doing so well and the main reason that was a problem is not because it meant that WWF weren't number one but because now they had to compete financially for the top talent with WCW who were able to offer huge amounts of money so as we discussed not that long ago people like Mark Merrow for example got guaranteed contracts at this time because that was the only way for Vince McMahon to kind of um, compete for those talents so this was quite an important time and one of the ways in which WF were trying to improve themselves was literally by just becoming much more creative by making sure that that kind of episodic sense of television in wrestling really became a reality and i think what you've said tom is a result of that the fact that all of these things feel like they're part of something else either they're at the conclusion of something so i think the opening match for example brian film and gold dust the idea is that's kind of the conclusion or certainly ahead a of a peak maybe of their of their feud there's the stuff with bret hart and the patriot that they've laid the foundation for before SummerSlam because Bret Hart lost to the Patriot before he was the champion. So they've all already had that in mind, clearly. And you've also got this sense that the last pay-per-view, you know, if we'd just been watching the pay-per-views, which we are, I guess, but if we were doing them in order, we would have seen at SummerSlam 97, as we did, that Shawn Michaels cost him to take the title. And this now follows on from that. So it just feels like a, a promotion where creatively they've got their ducks in alignment. They haven't got the talent to fill out the card with great matches and even sometimes with any kind of charisma or anything. But they creatively have definitely, they're definitely cooking on gas i think at this point mm. so the main event as you as you said uh tom it's Shawn michaels versus the undertaker it's their first ever match or at least their first ever major match against one another 60 minutes and 20 seconds i'm not going to run through the end because the end lasts for about five minutes Suffice it to say that this one comes at the end of all kinds of shenanigans, including four different referees being knocked out, officials being Love knocked it. down, other wrestlers having to come out to separate the pair of them, a period before the match of about five or six minutes where they're, the Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker are fighting. Just a, an absolute chaos, basically, a, a bunch of chaos. And as you said, Tom, very much a way to justify putting them in a cell for the following month's pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I didn't really like this match. <laughs> Too I, I thought that there were certain elements of that I liked. So for a start, and I felt about this, about the whole pay-per-view actually, I felt like there was a lot of time-wasting in it. I felt like they weren't quite ready for it to be three hours because it's almost as if I think they got to the morning show and they're like, all right, we've got the card booked out, tight two hours, perfect. It's going to be a bit of a struggle, but we'll get there in the end. And someone's like, that's no, three hours, pal. And he'd be like, what? Fuck! Um, so Shawn Michaels' entrance is so long that the music loops around and starts again. And the takers, as we know, doesn't go on for very long. But as soon as it comes out, immediately just like decks the ref. And Shawn Michaels like, nope, I'm not having this. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm with him. I'm with him. He's just, <laughs> he's just twatted the referee. That's a disqualification. You've won. You don't need to have a match with him. But anyway, the match kind of gets around. The Undertaker basically is stalking Shawn Michaels, firing up the ramp. The lovely use of the set. Shawn Michaels yeah. tries to escape through the house. 
the in your house <laughs> yeah. house door, which is lovely, and then gets thrown into the shovel into the shovelry into the shrubbery. <laughs> and what I will say is that Shawn Michaels is absolutely selling up a storm for the Undertaker at the moment. He's flying all over the place to make him look a million bucks, but it's kind of just like a little bit of just walking around. And and what I will say is that the crowd are really really into the Undertaker. When the match eventually starts, they get in the ring and the Undertaker hits a couple of moves, and the crowd are really going for it, including the old standing choke that you don't see anymore. You know when you they lift someone up mm. and they choke them, don't see that anymore. There's a bit where Shawn Michaels ass gets exposed then i must say the ladies love it but then it gets really really mad like the refs there's the thing that really grinds my gears which is where he steals the chair from the undertaker as he's about to hit Shawn michaels he's like no think about the match you can't do this you can't do this and fuck off let him hit him and disqualify him um and then <laughs> rick rude comes down after some lovely elbow drops it must be said some macho man-esque elbow drops from Shawn michaels on the top rope to the undertaker rick rude comes down and rick rude right so i'm trying to remember this right rick flair with short hair will shag your wife rick rude with long hair will shag your mum. Rick Rude with the horrible goatee will shag your dad. Um, <laughs> Rick Rude with short hair and the tash and the suit will film someone shagging your wife. <laughs> that's, what that's, that's what he'd do. But he comes down, chucks in like some brass knucks at Triple H, which I don't think he actually uses. He just hides them down his tights. So maybe he does hit the Undertaker when nothing nah, really comes out of he, it. He, he, uses, does he? he throws them to Shawn Michaels, not Triple H. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I think I may have said that a few times already in this. But anyway, like I said, the, the, and then all of a sudden, Triple H and China, uh, from out, out of nowhere, just come down. I didn't even notice them come down. Maybe I was, I was struggling a little bit at this point. I'm not going to lie. And I must admit, at this point, I'm just like, this is just a mess. I'm not really enjoying this at all. But like I said, it is all just a setup for the hell. There's, there needs to be a reason for them to have the Hell in a Cell match. So that's kind of what this was. When, when I kind of put it into that context, I was like, no, do you know what? This is fine. But I feel like it was for, for the main event of, of a pay-per-view. It just sort of just felt a bit messy and too much of an angle for me. And it just keeps going and going on and going. And then when the, like when the fourth referee takes the bump, I'm a little bit like, oh, come on, because I love the referee again. I love a referee getting punched out. But when poor Tim White comes down, comes then, rules the match in no contest, because at this point, Triple H and China are getting involved and everything like that. Taker reaches into Shawn Michael's pants and has a little fondle round, I reckon. And then he grabs the brass knucks out, twats Helmsy, then he chokes Lamzel Hebner. And it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's just all a mess. I, I, just didn't, I really just didn't enjoy this. It was just too, it was too messy. It, didn't, it belongs in the bins for Drew McIntyre <laughs> and, and Pac to try and find. The, the one thing I really liked was at the end when the locker room comes down to clear the, kind of clear the ring. Then Undertaker hits an absolutely spectacular splash over the top rope onto all of the heels but aside from that I was it kind of left me feeling a little bit empty I'd say mm. I'll, I'll respond on that first because I, I'm I, I find this quite interesting because first of all I think what you're saying is is effectively a almost like this this is a microcosm of what the sh- the show is is that basically it's a great creatively it's on is really on fire but maybe they haven't got the wrestling going on or you know the, the match quality isn't where it should be so like you said that there's a reason why this is so overbooked and you know chaotic and that is to justify the hell in the cell but I kind of went through what you went through and came out the other side watching this. So I really like the start before the match starts. Shawn Michaels is hiding behind the referee which, and then pushes the referee towards the Undertaker to try and escape. That's why the Undertaker hits the referee. So I really like that bit because I was like, one stand on ceremony. He's like, all right, fine, you want to play that? I'll just knock the referee out. No problem. Mm. Then as Shawn Michaels tries to like leave, 
Sergeant Slaughter comes out, Commissioner Slaughter, as he, bit, as yeah. at this point, and tells Shawn Michaels to come back to the ring. And as he gets back to the ring, the Undertaker's picked up poor old Mike Kyoda and chucked him at Shawn Michaels over the top. <laughs> that was that was thought, a good spot, yeah. And I just thought straight away, this is gonna be this is nuts. This is absolutely a really nuts way to start a match. They then brawl around, as you say, for like four or five minutes, including up on the set. They finally get back to the ring, and Earl Hebner comes down and calls for the bell, which I thought was a great touch because they could have just easily pretended they were already in the match, mm. which I think Sometimes with less detail they would have done, but they don't. He comes down, gets the ring, the bell rung, and they off they go. Then you have all the interference. And for me, this is the bit of the match where I'm like, oh, this starts to get silly. So you have Rick Rude come out, give Shawn Michaels a nux. Then separate to him, Triple H and China come out and they start to get involved. Referees start going down and it's starting to get a little bit overbooked. But then they just don't, they don't pull it back or try to be like apologetic about their overbooking. They just go fucking deeper they just doubled down on it and by the end i was like this is mad this is so mad i love it i love every bit of it because it's just crazy as you said earl have the bit where Earl Hebner gets choked slammed hit the facial expression on him he genuinely looks scared shitless because he has already been through goodness knows how much during the course of the match he gets knocked over about four times and this is right towards the end and he's like oh now i'm gonna get choke slammed by the undertaker this is just untrue and you know what the other bit i loved tim white comes down doesn't attempt to officiate the match he just runs straight down and calls for the bell immediately so basically the only reason he's come down is to declare the end of the match he's like this can't go on i've got someone's got to stop it but then he gets knocked down as well then you get the whole bloody roster come out and they're separating them and then because there's the big jump and by the end i'm like well as overbooked nonsense goes it's bloody fun I, I just thought it was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it from that perspective. Technically, it's not an amazing match and it doesn't have a great, it has kind of an inclusive finish. But I really did forgive that based on the fact that they've, they're telling a story here, which is that nothing can contain these two buggers. We need a big old cell to do it, which obviously leads to the first ever Hell of a Cell match the following month. And aside from that, just everything else around it was just fun. Just people getting thrown all over the place, people getting involved. Yeah, really fun. Yeah, this is amazing. I fucking love this. <laughs> this was glorious nonsense. Yeah. And it also, it, um, and this kind of loops back to your point, Tommy, about everything meaning something. There's a reason. The Undertaker is fucking fuming because Shawn Michaels cost him the match. Shawn Michaels is a cocky prick. So he's like, man, you're fucking scared of you. And then when he, when the Undertaker comes down, like Tinky said, he's hiding behind the ref. It's Michaels is unbelievable in this. His everything about it. I was watching this. And you've got Michaels, the Undertaker, and Brett Hart. I was like, fuck me. i fucking kill for one of those. <laughs> right now if one of those guys was in it now at this level i'd probably watch most weeks i thought this was tremendous fun for all the reasons Sinky said and all the reasons you said tommy as well as it's fucking chaos but there is a reason for the chaos and it all means something i just thought what better way to spend 20 minutes 20 25 minutes than this and i thought this is going to be good because it starts michael's is coming down to the ring he's such a cunt he is such a cunt i wanted to see him get fucking murdered and then the pyro done work well it comes on late and he gets mad about that which i quite liked that he was annoyed about it then i saw it in the so i knew it was going to be a good match when i saw the sign in the background the heartbreak gimp yeah yeah and i was like oh this is gonna be cracking and then yeah kyoda gets wallops gets thrown over the top rope and i was in it then <laughs> absolutely loved it this is my match of the night because it's so much fucking fun it's so much fun on a card that isn't very fun <laughs> in spite of what it's trying to be uh, it's no, my no, match of the night too it's my match of the night too. yeah yeah there's a few big old missteps on this show i think where they could have had more fun and they don't and i think this is tremendous and 
these guys, Michael is an Undertaker, how could they ever have a bad match together? They're just made for each other, aren't they? They're just absolutely made. They bring out the best in each other. Michael Sullen's incredible. Undertaker is. From memory, is this like, this is early Undertaker actually moving at a pace faster than Snail, isn't it? Yeah, so he, he kind of, obviously that is um, run with the man, with Mankind in 96. Mm. But this is, other than the matches of Mankind, really his mm. first, first good match, basically. Yeah. Great stuff. I just find it to be a bit much. I can I can appreciate it from from a storytelling perspective, but I think it wasn't it wasn't really bad. But I just, I wouldn't maybe in a different mindset I'd have enjoyed it without watching it under pressure of needing to get it done in time for the record. But a little bit too much for me. But it, I prob- think... it probably is still my match of the night as well because without this, you don't have the excellence that is at the next pay-per-view bad blood in the wider context outside of this show there's a massive reason for this and 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 that's that's why see i i think um i can entirely understand why you felt that way because i was feeling that way towards the end of the match it's just then they went through it and blasted through that it's like basically someone was telling a joke and the first first time they told it it was really funny then the second time it's quite funny the third time it wasn't really funny anymore but then they were like now fuck this i'm just going to keep telling the joke till it's funny again and that's what happened here it was kind of like oh this is yeah oh man old man pointing to himself there yeah big he, big like, old man vibes but, but that's, yeah. that's it you know it's like you know what i'm not going to give up like i'm going to just double down and eventually people are going to find this funny again and that's kind of what we had here was oh this is getting a bit much this is getting a bit much all right guys this is crazy or actually this is really fun this is really fun this is crazy so I, that's the way i felt about it i also think that especially these days there's lots of ways in which they book I don't, maybe not these days is not fair but certainly 2016 2017 you saw a lot of booking where basically and even before that they're booking a match in a way that allows them to get to the next month and that is the same here the difference being is that they're not trying to get you to an extreme rules match in time for extreme rules they're not trying to get you to a hell in a cell match in time for a hell in a cell they're just getting you to an entirely new match concept you've never even seen before and so that's why i think this is different in terms of that compared to what you might get in say 2015 where two people have a match and then they're like yeah so next month is extreme rules because we couldn't get a winner because it was double dq in that match which is so predictable whereas this is just completely out of the blue we need to justify why we've introduced this match that's even more dangerous than the cage match and it's because these two just cannot be contained they've just beaten up four referees a bunch of officials loads of people have interfered load we've only been able to separate them by bringing out the entire roster so we need something else and i just thought for for that reason i thought creatively it was great i absolutely love the fact that jack dome comes down (laughs) immediately wallops just Im- like immediately don't even don't get anything he don't get his moment in the sun don't, he, he don't even get to like pull him apart lovely straight down out it cunt <laughs> <laughs> my talking point is going to be much much less impressive now because you've basically covered two of the big things Tom you yourself have covered two of the big things I had in mind which was the, <laughs> the kind of creative aspects of this and then that main event so I'm going to talk about the minis match which is Max Mini and El Torito because it was reminiscent of something we talked about on one of the WW shows where they had the six-man tag lucha a lucha mm. match that i remember old man really disliking and um, no. matt, matt really liking and the reason i quite liked it was because it was kind of like this exhibition of something else mm. and this felt very similar to that in that this was WWE again trying to find little bits and pieces and little ways of eking out new opportunities or new things that they could do and loads of it went by the wayside in the end and this was one of the things that went by the way wayside was them bringing in the minis to have matches but on this night the crowd really really respond to max mini to the point where you can see why vince was like right i'm gonna keep i'm gonna 
to continue with this for a while because he's actually over. You know, people are actually really interested in him. So the match itself, it's actually a nine and a half minute match and does drag a little bit in the middle. But eventually Max Mini gets the victory with a sunset flip of sorts. But yeah, the, the fans really respond to him. And it got me thinking about that thing, which I really, again, I'm lots of these things when we're watching them, I'm thinking about them going, oh, I hope Triple H thinks about how he can do things like this in the future, which is introduce just new ideas, new concepts, things that might not work, but just try them. And this is one of those things where at the time Vince with his back to the wall was really like, what can I do? How can I differentiate us? How can I bring something new and fresh and exciting to this thing? In in the way that it's quite old school, old school, because certainly the 70s, what the WWF used to do when women's wrestling was not really a thing. They used to bring the women in for a, a loop of the house show tour, you know, their tour just for one month basically they used to bring him in and say this is one of the special attractions you'll see on the live tour this month is the women wrestling and they used to do it with the the minis and they did it with andre was a similar thing oh andre's going to be on you know the loop this time they'd bring in japanese wrestlers one month so they try and do something different all like all the time it was kind of back to that kind of thing i'm going to we're going to give you something different which you haven't seen before and it might work it might not and in this case on this night at least it did i mean by the time they come back to rumble the following year and they have a six-man tag match with the minis no one gives a damn and the central attraction is sunny as the special guest referee but here it got over it did get over but i didn't like it because of exactly what you said the lag in the middle mm. is terrible they're just wrestling and then el torito is just beating up max mini for a bit max mini does sit on king's lap and put his crown on does which even the king enjoyed he had i think he had trouble selling it so i think he found it really funny uh jr says max mini is 86 pound i weighed that in kindergarten <laughs> which I absolutely like, which popped me big time. As you said, Tiki, as much as this isn't really, this wasn't my cup of tea, I think the bookends of the match are pretty good. The crowd fucking love it. Mm. They absolutely fucking love it. And uh, I thought they did a bloody good job. I thought Al Torito's bloody big, though, isn't he? He's a big old unit. He's a big Danny old sturdy DeVito. unit. Danny Vito <laughs> was what I thought when he came out. Because yeah. I didn't realise it was a minis match at the beginning. So I was like, what the fuck's going on? Why is the camera so weird? What are they doing? And then I was like, oh, it's minis. And then I thought, oh, he looks like Danny Vito. Uh, uh, small people. Yeah, not um, not for me, this, but I completely take your point, Tinky. That the crowd absolutely fucking... In 1997, 5,000 people in some fucking place, they noshed it right often they i think the thing that the, 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 the crowd found really impressive at, at that time is that i don't think you'd seen hardly anything like max mini's offense before mm. like he does like i've called it a whirly gig head scissors <laughs> where he's where he's like just flying around el torito's head and he just does he flies around there's a lovely a couple of lovely springboard moonsaults from him he does like a couple of lovely lovely aerial moves and that's what really get the crowd going in terms of commentary jerry lawler says there's uh el, el torito that means little ball right how do you say whole lot of ball? That'd be your nickname, Ross. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I also think, further to what you said, Tinky, about obviously kind of just trying to do new things, new kind of stuff. I was like thinking about this is like the, the front door has just kind of been opened to the Attitude Era and there's minis. And I was like, this is weird. This is really yeah. strange. Like just, I, know, I appreciate what you said, but like just thinking about it, you're like, you cannot, ass- I cannot associate minis and Stone Cold Steve Austin being on the same card. It just seems like, it seems like a real, hangover of the I could think of like the minis wrestlers and the way they're presented in WWF as being Mantor Man Mountain Rock you know like those like those 95 era wrestlers not 1997 in my mind it just seems 
variety removed to happen. So it was a really, really interesting surprise to see a minis match on it, which I actually quite enjoyed. I think there's a little bit of a botch at the end because I think Max Mini was setting up for a an even more spectacular sunset flip, but I just don't think it quite worked properly. But yeah, it was it, it was it was fine and, and there's a bit where a mini bites the referee on the bar, and who doesn't love that? <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is the first of two out retims that have been in the WWE. Because mm. uh, the uh, was it the colons? Yes. Yeah, yeah, but they were yeah. lost luchadors, was it? And they Something. had Alterito with them. Yeah, great Alterito double usage. Kind <laughs> of candidate for the Hall of Fame, do we think? At any point, Alterito? I'd imagine they'll run out of people, and I think like it wouldn't surprise me if Del Wilkes got in. His first name was Rest in Peace, sir, Delbert. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on his Wikipedia page today. I don't know it was that. Del yeah. Delbert. Yeah, I was just like, what? That's well, normal. It's like they couldn't decide whether to go with Dal or Bert. So like, <laughs> see, I bet they didn't hyphenate it. It's made something yeah. up. Yeah. Well, we oh. we will we'll definitely get to that in in um in the second half of the show. But the the thing for me as well is it it, it was just quite a indication of what WWE were doing. Like I said, like it, I've said this before, but into '98 they would obviously experiment with the brawl for all. They did the NWA return basically that Jim Cornette. <laughs> managed they had the Jim Cornette um shoot minute promo that he did a couple of times at three or four times where he talked about other wrestling promotions they had the shoot pro- pro- promos that you actually see one of on this show which we'll talk about in the second half um, where they would talk to the real life people behind the gimmicks but they did it with the gimmicks that were explicitly gimmicks so they did it with Gold Dust, for example. They did it with Mick Foley. They did it with The Undertaker, even. They had like, these kind of shoot interviews where you saw the man behind the gimmick, but they used the gimmick as if it was something that they were like hiding behind. Do you know what I mean? As, as if the real person was hiding behind their gimmick, and that's how they were able to meld reality with this world. So they were doing all kinds of different things, just trying anything to see what would stick. And that goes alongside some of the stuff that they did that would become what we know as the Attitude Era. So some of the more violent stuff. Stuff, some of the more sexually explicit and innuendo kind kind of stuff. This is the stuff that we forget now because it wasn't successful and didn't go forever. But mm. it, I just find it really interesting that for a company to be imaginative and to try something different, they have to fail they, and they can't be scared of failing. Mm. They've got to do it. And this is an example of that for me. Well, and they also like they give them almost 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a big old chunk of change. I know it like to Tommy's point, it does kind of feel like they are filling space in particular in one of the matches that we'll get to after the break it's a bit of fun isn't it it's a bit of fun for the crowd to get excited about small people throwing themselves around and that's that's 1997 isn't it 1997 all over yeah so we will take a break right there and then come back and cover the other four matches on the show and obviously we'll give old man the chance as well to clear out his uh the gas that's clearly building <laughs> yeah. in his chest good book that it wasn't intentional no sounded it well, J- Jerry, I'll be quite honest with you. I'm standing here with Owen Hart, the British Bulldog. I was going to ask him their strategy for this fatal four-way tag team match, but after what we've just seen, uh, I think I need to change the question. Owen, you've got to be scared. I mean, you know Stone Cold's looking for you. It's a load of crap what Stone Cold Steve Austin did to Jim Ross, a color commentator, a man of his caliber. Jim Ross is a very special friend of mine. We broke bread together. He doesn't deserve that crap. But these stupid American people seem to condone it. They encourage it. They want to see him beating up helpless commentators. Well, that's a load of crap. And I personally am going to be lobbying to see Stone Cold Steve Austin not only fined, not only suspended, but he should be jailed. That is assault. He should be taken to jail 
put behind bars. Not only should they have stripped them of the tag team belts, they should strip them of the Intercontinental belts, give it back to me where it belongs, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, you should be getting the hell out of the World Wrestling Federation. That's what you should do, and that is the bottom line, son. All right, As for this, Bulldog and myself are going to go out, kick everybody's butt, and take the WWF tag team belts because we truly are. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. All and right. even though Jim Ross is from Oklahoma, <laughs> he still didn't deserve that, Doc, if you know what I mean. I'll be behind Owen 100% when he steps in the ring with you, Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right, let's get back to ringside. Okay, welcome back. So the rest of this show, it starts with a video package showing Shawn Michaels' referee performance at SummerSlam and speculation about whether he did it on purpose. Shawn Michaels attacking The Undertaker and then them hyping it as the first time ever, which, as I said, is actually effectively true, I would I would argue. I mean, they did have one match on House Show before this. but And it's interesting, this is a different type of intro. It's not the, the, the typical WWF intro. It's kind of, yeah, a little bit different, I thought. Well, at this time, they, they used to quite often narrate their videos because I always think of um I had the video for WrestleMania 14 I know that's about you know about eight months later than this but I remember I used to watch I used to watch always to watch the countdown show and then all of the uh, the event afterwards and they I remember there being a really long uh, Undertaker Kane kind of video package that was narrated by Michael Cole the entire time and I really like that I really like when the stories have got like proper narration and yeah they tell you everything it's really really well done I thought uh, uh, but this wasn't before the match this was the ocean show opening mm. intro which was weird that's why i found it very different well it kind of shows what they've got in the card doesn't it i think i think that's yeah, that, that's a reflection of what what you both touched on like the roster is weak as piss and i think that's probably more a reflection on that than anything i liked it i always liked mm. seeing the uh, the old style SummerSlam logo mm. and i just liked the fact that they're just setting the reason and it's a grudge match and there's a big grudge and they're gonna have a match <laughs> The commentators for the night are Vince McMahon, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. This is Vince McMahon's penultimate commentary performance mm-hmm. on a pay-per-view. His last one would be the following month. Of course, then the following month after that would be the screw job and therefore Vince would never do it again. Anybody know what Stridex is? Pads, aren't they? They're, they're, I think they're the wrestling pads, like elbow and uh, knee pads, I think. So I think it's an acne treatment. Okay, maybe it is. <laughs> so I'd look for Stridex and it is Stridex pads, but I think they're for for acne so medicated acne pads well there you go I, i've been putting them on me uh, on my elbows when i should have been putting them on my <laughs> yeah. spots all the, all the time hitting someone with an elbow drop and I'm, well, i'll tell you what he's hitting me with that elbow drop my acne is cleaned up lovely <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a reflection on uh where they were commercially isn't it mm, that yeah, they've got an, an acne treatment doing that they haven't even got the good year blimp in there they've got the <laughs> blimp with stridex on it yes yeah, it's, it's a far cry from like a year later when it would be like snickers presents you know mm. summerslam whatever or whatever it was the night they're really scraping the barrel for for sponsors vince says before the first match that the first match is gold dust versus marlena which is definitely yes. not true <laughs> it's no. definitely not the case <laughs> we then get a video package hyping up this match between gold dust and brian pillman um so this match is basically if pillman wins then he gets the services of marlena for 30 days and if gold dust wins then brian pillman will be gone from the wwf there's the video package itself we see brian pillman saying that gold dust's daughter dakota is 
is his is Pillman's love child. Meanwhile, Dustin Rhodes cuts a real life shoot style promo, like I was talking about before the break, talking about his family life with Terry or Marlena. Uh, then Pillman suggests the stipulation that we've discussed of what this match is. Any thoughts on the video? I was very confused by Brian Pillman saying, effectively, I'm your kid's daddy. And then they didn't really address that. And I was like, that would probably be the main sticking point for me. And I definitely wouldn't say, you know what? I'm going to have a match with you and I'm going to put my wife up and you can have her for 30 days. It's a very odd thing. I mean, I'm guessing they were going with uh, Marlena was going to do the old switcheroo and be with Pillman, but that doesn't ever happen because he passes away. But it's all very strange. It's all very strange. Very sombre, which I kind of appreciate because it should be sombre. But I was also a bit like, I don't give a shit about Dustin Reynolds. I don't give a shit. I don't give a (laughs) shit about him. No one gives a shit about him. Not not even enough of one to say the word right. Stupid fucking kid. In the, the, the aforementioned kind of shoot promo that you well, interviewed, you spoke about Tinky. He, he, he says, um, Michael, a young Michael Cole says to him, um, what did you think when uh, Pillman said that Dakota was his daughter? And Dustin Rhodes, or Dustin Runnels, should we say, says it with such little charisma, it's almost impossible for me to do it just there. Speed goes, it did bother me. <laughs> 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 and then and then they show the footage like where obviously Marlena uh, or Terry is in the interview as well and then at the same time she's just so wooden as well she's like no the Dakota's his daughter <laughs> it's like, oh, okay fine and yeah like you said oh man really weird also love the fact that in throughout all the promos he's uh or Brian Pillman's wearing a dress because in a previous yeah. uh, match with Goldust he, there was a stipulation in which he had to wear a dress for 30 days as well which is uh, which is quite entertaining but he didn't wrestle in a dress very disappointing I mean it, it's <laughs> it feels very attitude era as well doesn't it this this is this is kind of you can see the attitude era really kicking in now you wouldn't have done this a year before or at least 18 months before and and also, you're right. So obviously, old man, I don't know what their plans were, but I assume it was that Marlena would have eventually turned on Gold Dust, gone with uh, Brian Pillman. But they still use this in their storyline. So just prior to the Survivor Series, they have another shoot promo, which is after the 30 days are up, obviously, and after Brian Pillman has passed away, where Gold Dust is saying, or Dustin Runnels, sorry, is saying to her, you know, don't don't think I don't know what you did, you know, whilst you were away with with you know for thirty days and whatnot. And that's what turned him into the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. And then he said, I found someone else myself, and that's when they introduced Luna. So maybe WrestleMania fourteen, which is the match where Marrow and Sable face Gold Dust and Luna, might have been something with Terry and Luna on either side of the, the ring. I know Terry wasn't yeah. actually best, but possibly. Yeah, maybe. I was I was very intrigued by the uh, Gold Dust versus Marlena match that you alluded to <laughs> i was because i was assuming that it was going to be that basically pillman like she'd turned on gold dust and was now with pillman and pillman had been a gentleman had put her up for the fight <laughs> quite intrigued by that oh yeah know. also is there a stipulation that if Pillman mm. loses and he'll leave the WWE as well. Yeah. yeah. So that could have been what tempted him, but I'm still not I'm still not overly convinced that I'd ever if if like I had a colleague that I really hated at work and they said, We'll put something up, I would not say, Okay, you leave, but if I lose you could have my wife for a month. <laughs> I just didn't think that would happen. So the match itself is the opener. It's 11 minutes long. It goes until the point where basically what happens is that Goldust checks the ref after the ref has gone down. Pillman looks ready to hit a low blow. So Marlena gets on the apron. She attempts to hit Pil- Pillman with her purse, but Pillman snatches the purse out of her hand, hits Goldust with it. The referee comes to and Pillman gets the victory. After the match, Pillman then forces 
chases Marlena away from the ring, and when Goldust recovers, he chases them backstage. Lauder at ringside picks up the purse and reveals that there was a brick inside the purse. And I said brick, not penis. (laughs) The cameras go backstage and we see Pillman force Marlena into a car and speed off as Goldust fails to catch them. Much to the delight of Jerry Lawler, who's very excited about the idea of Brian Pillman raping Marlena for 30 days. Mm, Yes. So there's, I said here that as they go back to the commentators, Lawler's basically giddy at the prospect of this horrific situation. Vince sounds, I guess, appropriately solemn about the whole thing. Meanwhile, Jim Ross is a little bit overdramatic. I felt like he'd overdramatized it a little bit. Not in a kind of, oh my God, this is horrendous, but just like doing his usual wrestling hype stuff, which I felt wasn't quite the right, quite mood. Oh my God, a child's lost her mother for 30 days. (laughs) Yeah, that's that kind of thing. And finally backstage, we see Goldust smashing things up. The crowd were really into this, but I said it's a little bit distasteful. In fact, I said it's very distasteful. That's actually my exact words. Yes. In terms of the match, it starts off pretty hot, as it should. Goldust doesn't even make it down to the room before they start brawling, which brawling, which I really like. And all the ladies love a bit of Brian Pillman when he takes his shirt off again. They like they like Shawn Michaels' ass and they like to like Brian Pillman's torso. And you can blame them. He's a sexy sexy lad. Um. <laughs> There's a great bit in it that I really liked when uh, the crowd really popped when Goldust reverses a bulldog attempt and then throws Pillman across the ring and crotches mm. him on the top rope, which is great. And I, it's at this point where I thought to myself, like, fair fucks to Pillman, because he's basically wrestling with, a, with an absolutely destroyed ankle at this point, isn't he? And I thought, obviously, he's still not being, he's not able to be the flying, brying, fucking hell, the flying, brying, the frying, flan, Brian Pillman. He's not able to be him anymore at this stage. <laughs> frying Fran Pillman. <laughs> Fry, yeah, Fry, Flan, you know, Fran Pillman, you know, one of the best. <laughs> flan Pinman. <laughs> Here he is, hold Flan Pinners. <laughs> <laughs> flying Brian Pillman let's get fly, it right <laughs> Brian. he's not able to be on Fly Brian anymore but he still like works really well and I think there's a couple of couple of really cool moments in the, in the match that there's a decent reversal of a camel clutch from Goldust into a one man doomsday device I've called it and the crowd go absolutely mad for a Ric Flair off the top rope to the outside spot but I can't mm. remember who does it on whom but yeah the, the end the end was a bit convoluted as you said with the with the brick and the purse and everything you knew exactly what was going to happen because you know the Brian Pillman weren't going to leave. So you knew exactly what was going to happen. So that the end of the match was really telegraphed by the stipulations, I thought. But the, the worst thing about it all was the was this Jerry Lawler at the end of it, just showing his excitement about these horrific things happening to this woman. And it carries on going on about it through the entire rest of the pay-per-view as well, mm. or at least up until the Bret Hart match. He, so, says during, he says during the match that Marlena is the proverbial good time that's been had by all. Yeah, it's just not nice, is it? Like, I understand trying to get heat and stuff like that, but it's just, it doesn't age very well and I think even back then you would have been a bit like Ey. actually no that's not a tell a lie I'd have been I'd have been how old would I have been then 14 yeah, and I'd yeah. have been like ah, she has a good she has a good time ah, it's like you know I mean, whatever because you're a young idiot but you know looking back on it now it's not very it's not very tasteful at all is it I'm doing my quiet Jerry Lawler said it's not tasteful I didn't like it King does say that Ronald has been on more laps than a napkin this is the trouble Tom's reaction is exactly what I had and I was like oh this is so bad but this is the very start of then basically an 11 minute and 6 second tirade on how basically Marlena Terry Runnels likes to have sex which she ain't getting no criticism from me whatever innit 
have a good time, don't matter. Anyway, I think it's the use man. of the word napkin that made me laugh just to qualify because <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, you know, that was what it was. So there's a bulldog. The bulldog that you said comes after Goldust has tried to bulldog Pillman. They're about three or five minutes apart, and they both do very similar things. I quite like, quite appreciate that. That, but this match is not very good, and I didn't care. And I know he is, as you said, Tommy. He's wrestling with a broken ankle. Never liked Pillman. Haven't been impressed with him in anything that we've watched. Remember, we watched a Hollywood Blondes cage match. There's something you have been impressed by. Yeah. Was there? Jushin Liger. Which one was that? Brian Pillman. That was it. Yeah. I'm going to put that all on Jushin Liger. (laughs) No, I'm not really. This isn't the contest we know and love. This isn't androgynous gold dust this is i'm sad because i'm about to give my wife away for a month gold dust i just didn't really like this at all and i and i know we've all said it i despised him dragging her to the back that was one of the most uncomfortable visuals i've seen in wrestling for a long fucking time and not helped by Lawler getting so excited about it. It's 1997, I get it. It is a different time. As Tommy said, I'd have been 13, 14. I would have found this quite hilarious. But watching it as a 38-year-old man, I know I'm not the intended audience, but... It's, it's grubby, isn't it? Let's be honest. Mm. It's, it's grubby. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a very good phrase. It's 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 not nice. I th- I know on top of everything, I actually agree. I don't think it was a particularly good match. I thought it was pretty pretty average, to be perfectly honest. I don't think they had much chemistry, to be honest. The two of them, no. I, did, I just didn't think it really worked. And I should say that Brian Pillman, he had had a really like a shattered ankle, but he wasn't mm. still broken by this point. He had healed whatever healed was. Obviously not a hundred percent, but it it was as healed as it was going to get effectively by this point. But I think. He was just in agony all the time I think probably well. yeah probably didn't do a lot for me i think also that first of all they've set this up with a kind of shoot style promo which is where they're trying to blur reality with the story mm. so it makes the whole idea that brian pillman's now kind of abducting her effectively even yeah. worse and on top of that there's a way to do this without making it about sex Hmm. there's a way to do it so that now basically Brian Pillman can be like taunting her that she's now got to manage him for 30 yeah. days you know professionally and they could I know it wouldn't have had the same impact it wouldn't have been the attitude here it wouldn't have been all that kind of stuff but you know I think if they were going to do something similar to this now and it's possible given that they've gone back to P, what is it TV 14 rating or they're trying they're going to unroll this possible sort of these sorts of things might come up that if they do something like this in the future they keep it about the fact that now you know my Marlene is going to be having to manage Brian Pillman. Yeah, guys, you've got to spend time with this dickhead. Yeah, exactly. You've got to cut promos with him. You've got to like, you've got to accompany him to the ring. Not only that, but maybe there's something in the contract where not only have you got to manage him, but you've got to try and help him win matches. That kind of thing, so that it's much more about what goes on on screen rather than leaving this awful thing to your imagination, which is then, as you said, by Jerry Lawler, like thrust in your face as like, oh, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and it's going to be amazing which obviously it's not amazing it's, it's absolutely awful which is a great shame as well because i actually think away from that lula is very good on this card i think he's really good when, especially when and we'll get to this when jr bug is off i think he simmers down a bit and then he gets into actually calling the wrestling with vince and him and vince are good together mm. like great lovers great <laughs> commentators lovely good times <laughs> So the next match is Scott Putsky versus Brian Christopher in a match that ends up only going. 
Yeah, Brian Christopher. In a match that ends up going only four minutes forty-five seconds, when Putski uh, does some kind of uh, kind of tope or, or plancha from out to outside to the ring on Brian Christopher and hurts his leg in the process. Actually, it's so Brian Christopher does it yeah. onto Putski, and Putski's knee kind of goes from underneath him, and he has to be wheeled out on a stretcher. The match is basically called a count out or no contest or something. And this is Scott Putski's only WWE pay-per-view appearance. In the end, it was them kind of pulling together the light heavyweight division, and this was kind of them slowly introducing the people who would be involved in the light heavyweight division but obviously Putski wasn't part of that in the end because of this injury Tom give us your thoughts on what we saw of this well if Scott Putski is a light heavyweight then I'm purple because he is nowhere near a light heavyweight he goes massive absolutely <laughs> jacked with an incredible tan it's got to be said a wonderful wonderful tan I enjoy Brian Christopher so much I, I enjoy his his obnoxious laugh his smile he's such a dickhead and you can so clearly tell that he's Jerry the King Lawless son and I love the fact that he downplays it all the time it's amazing and the Jerry's kid chants and stuff really really added to that but as you said the match is only four and a half minutes long you, nothing really gets to happen much Scott Putski to be fair to him for the short amount of time that he's actually uh, doing anything in the match hits a very impressive standing hurricane runner at one point and Brian Christopher hits a skull crushing finale as well yeah. an absolute trailblazer but nothing really much happens before that happens oh the other, other note sorry i've got about uh about scott putsky is that he looks like a really uncomfortable brown leather sofa that's what i thought he looked like <laughs> but it's really the, the knee the knee dislocation is really horrible it reminded me of i can you remember when uh, the original ronaldo it did his knee playing for uh, inter i think and i can remember very vividly seeing on the back page of some newspaper his knee basically being like halfway up his thigh and that's similar to that it, it's absolutely disgusting so they, they kind of do what they can to kind of stretch out a bit of time and like I said earlier maybe this match was due to go on a little bit longer than it had, well, obviously it was due to go on longer than it did maybe it was due to go on for a good 10-12 minutes and maybe that would have filled up a bit of time but they tried to do it by having Jerry Lawler go over and, and taunt him and in a way which which was quite quite good because obviously they, prior to the match him and Brian Crystal had attacked Scott Putzky as well but there's a very strange bit that I found a little bit haunting at the end of the match when we go back to uh, back to the commentators where Vince looks genuinely concerned it's probably the most human I think I've ever seen him and he just goes, are they still working on Ivan's son? <laughs> which, is, which is really, 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 really weird. Like, as I don't think he'd mentioned Ivan Pesky. I think Jim Ross had. But it just—it was just a weird insight into why well, Vince Man at some points is actually capable of being a a human it would appear Putski not very well liked by this crowd he's meant clearly meant to be the face here they don't really like him they love Brian Christopher they absolutely love him and I'm with Tommy I just like him he's just a bellend isn't he he's just an absolute bellend he is like someone that we all know on a night out that's what he's like he's just excited he's doing that it's fucking it is great Putski is greener than grass like, not the grass that's outside now, like good, fresh, like lawn grass, because he's just not very good. That's nothing to do with the injury, like the injury just happens. But this wasn't very good. I didn't really enjoy it. I enjoyed even less seeing his knee. But then I noticed a McMahon Keeney signed in the crowd. And that <laughs> and that just that picked up my spirits. Because I'll be honest, at this point, I was a bit like, so we've seen a bang average match with Pillman and Goldust with a very uncomfortable undercurrent through it. And we've seen a man dislocate his knee in the middle of a not very good match. I was like, oh, I'm not sure 97's my year, lads. 
<laughs> in stark contrast to 1991 which definitely yeah 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 there. which was definitely my yeah yeah so there's a couple of things i mean you've covered everything there's not much to talk about the only things i would say is that when jerry lawler gets up to try and kind of cover the the gap that they now have to fill he struggles really badly and he clearly is kind of looking at the injury going all oh, that is bad uh, and hmm. so he's trying to make fun of him because that's mm. what the situation calls for. But he he almost can't. He almost struggles mm. to do it. It's almost like he is genuinely caught in the concern for the wrestler, which, you know, I guess as a wrestler, you would be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. regardless of yeah. who regardless of who you are as a person, you're a wrestler. You see someone else go down with a pretty bad injury. You are going to be concerned for them. Uh, and as you said, Vince looking quite kind of human as well and, and concerned. Of course, it didn't, didn't prevent him from releasing Scott Putsky later, I think maybe <laughs> this year or the year after maybe after he'd recovered or maybe even before i don't actually know when he was properly released i think it was in 98 he got released fine and he did show up in wsw briefly but didn't really do mm. much there either brian christopher to completely agree with you i think he's really good and i think if you are trying to find a heel in the world of the light heavyweights this is the kind of heel you go with. i always thought like it's similar to jamie noble i think they kind of did a mm. very similar thing with him later on he's the non-light heavyweight light heavyweight the guy who doesn't do all the flying because the flying is the domain of the baby faces and he's the one who just makes it all a lot more balanced all of a sudden you know that means you don't have to have a whole match of just flying and flips you can mm. have the wrestling because when he's dominating that's what happens so yeah i think he was just perfect for that thing they just never really invested any real time or thought into the light heavy division beyond the opening kind of tournament final at that time at uh, when Taka and him fought in the final but after that they kind of forgot about it for months until christian became champion later in two, in 1998 but what, what i like what i like, think about brian christopher i was thinking to myself about that because i was like oh they really kind of i was thinking to myself they really kind of like wasted that character that iteration of him but there was definitely a period was it probably 99 2000 where too cool are outside of austin and the rock the most over thing on the uh, and rikishi like the most yeah. over thing so whilst him as a single star as a heel like in that it's you know that version of the character he wasn't as as grandmaster sexy he was fucking they were scorching too cool they weren't too cool they were too hot if anything (laughs) which is what they were as a team they were called too hot before they were too cool were they yeah Yeah. so they when brian christopher and scott taylor first got together they were um too sexy brian christopher and too i might have been too hot scott taylor sorry and they were too much that's right they're attacking too too much yes i had to think about that for a while but yes and then they became too cool which is the uh the far more over version they should have uh, come down to no. They couldn't have come down to that. I was just say they should have come down to never too much, never too much, never too Aww. much. But that could have been every other tag team. What a fucking banger! What a banger that is. Now, little useless Luther Vandross facts for the listeners: He sang backing vocals on David Bowie's album Young Americans. So he was one of the ones that went, "All right." He was the young American. No, that would have been but better. Not, saying, would have been. Yeah, not no. There's a there's a bit in the song where they all do it together. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go fuck myself, right? <laughs> you know what? It's about fucking time you did. 
the silly kind of shithousery of old man when he said that actually it's a bit what they're doing together and yeah. Tom the, the kind of res- resignation on Tom's face when he when he heard it went oh right okay yeah fine <laughs> well it's, it's like whenever I try to talk about hip hop with Tom and to see his face he's like this fucking bold cunt done no shit <laughs> I love Criss Cross they're great yeah I really like Coolio I think uh, he's, a, he's a cracking a young whippersnapper that one. Oh, what a guy <laughs> what a guy after this there's the video package <laughs> no I'm Michael Barrymore have you seen the video of Michael Barrymore doing that thinking no I have not oh it's oh. Michael Barrymore doing a cover of um, I'll see you when you get there by um by Coolio and it's absolutely tremendous is he doing I'll see you when you get there by Coolio or the original I'll see no, you when you he's get doing, there I think he's doing the Coolio version hmm. okay well the reason I thought of Coolio was obviously we were talking about Too Hot Scott Taylor and that's Too Coolio's. Hot yeah, cracking song. <laughs> it wasn't a Creed song. <laughs> well, no, it was. Everyone's a Creed song. It's true. In, in my mouth. So we have to keep going, otherwise we'll never get through this fucking show. Yeah. So the, the next up is the video package which shows the gang war between the Nation, DOA and Los Bariquas ahead of their triple threat match. We've spoken about that match. So we move straight on to the Steve Austin promo video for the VHS because Stone Cold said so. I'm really trying to ignore old man who desperately wants to say something. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the Savio Vega for a crush match. Is after the match, Crush just has to really sadly wheel his bike to the back. <laughs> So he's like on it, but like walking like you would on like a tricycle. So oh, I was laughing me off about that, silly fucking cunt. <laughs> so yeah, as I say, next is the promo video for the Curse Stone Cold Said So VHS, which I had figured in my mind would include Steve Austin's world title win, but obviously being released at this point, it obviously wasn't. Then we have the minis match, which we've also discussed already. Then we have a point where my notes go four pages back in my book because I started writing them in the wrong place. So give me a second, I'll get back. <laughs> to where I was. So we get some footage of the power driver that injured Stone Cold Steve Austin at SummerSlam and him retaining the Intercontinental title. We then get Commissioner Slaughter saying that he wouldn't allow Austin to return to action until he'd completed his rehab. He orders him to relinquish the tag team title. In the ring, JR is with Commissioner Slaughter and Slaughter says he knew that when he took the role of Commissioner, he would have to make some difficult decisions. They then re- make a fucking strong decision about shaving his head. That's what Sergeant Slaughter needs to do. <laughs> uh, Dude Love is then um, announced to the ring because he needs to relinquish the other tag team title because he's the current tag team champion with Steve Austin. Apparently, he said he wouldn't hold on to the title if Austin had to surrender his. So there was obviously an option for him to keep the title and choose a new partner or somehow for a partner to be selected. Austin then comes out. He's already super over at this point so there's yeah. no there's no doubting where they're heading here steve austin is the man he's the absolute star of the show comes out super over generally disdainful to everyone so he's still playing this is what i love about austin here is that there is a gradual transition as the years pass during this period where he gets more and more babyface. but here he's still effectively a heel but being, yeah. but being cheered is is really interesting i really i really noticed that i was like he's a lot healier than i thought he'd be Mm. And he does. Did he just gradually phase it out and to to maintain the facade that he's just this kick-ass person who doesn't give a shit about anyone? Does anybody remember when he lost the earring? No, 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 because it's a terrible look. 
mean, he, lo- he looks like he should be a right set friend. Well, may- maybe when he started wearing the bum bag permanently, they thought, we can't have both. You're going to have to drop either the bum bag or the earring. One of the two. <laughs> oh, goddamn, son, I'll drop my earring. I'll keep my earring in my bum bag instead. I'll keep it in my fanny pack. <laughs> Austin then gets the microphone and he says that he can wrestle. He taunts Sergeant Slaughter by pretending to hand the belt to Slaughter, then instead drops it on his foot. He tells Slaughter to pick it up, which he does, so he sort of faces him down. He says the whole WWF makes him sick. JR tells him he hopes Austin will be back soon, sincerely. Austin then stuns Jim Ross. (laughs) Vince McMahon gets up from the commentary position. Austin walks out to cheers. I thought this was really great. Really great heat. Great fun. Austin just in absolute is is pop. You know, he's just in superb, just in superb form. And there's a big old slaughter sucks chance as JR has helped away. It just feels very important, this. And I know this is very much for the benefit of hindsight. It's like two weeks later that he stuns McMahon in Madison Square Garden. And JR taking that stun. Wonderful stuff. He's wearing the fake waistcoat, JR. Well, I'm glad you brought that up Mm. because I'm going to give that waistcoat my MVP. (laughs) 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 It is true. Truly ghastly. It, so, it is so much more. Oh, it's hideous. I don't know. I don't even know. It's like a gold. It's not like you said. It's not even a real waistcoat. It's like a, no. a, a facade of a waistcoat. He gives the illusion that he's wearing a, an awful waistcoat, and it's not even a whole waistcoat. It's just the front, and it is gold, and it looks like it's got some kind of like Aztec pattern on it. It is ghoulish. <laughs> That's what I need to describe. It is absolutely horrendous. So, and fair play. So, maybe I'm going to give it to Jim Ross for wearing it. So I'm going to give it to Jim Ross for wearing it and for taking it and for something that he says later on in the show, which amused me as well. But this this bit is it, it's interesting with the, with the slaughter authority figure thing because they're kind of planting the seeds of what would eventually happen with McMahon. I think obviously he he but Austin had been kind of rallying against kind of the you know, quote unquote authorities, but it wasn't necessarily McMahon at that point. And it's quite interesting watching the dynamic between him and Slaughter and how that would eventually, you know, he would become kind of one of Vince's stooges and get incorporated into all that. And I thought I thought it was really interesting. And I also think you gotta give dude love a shout out right? because he calls Stone Cold Steve O Stone Cold, which I which I which I enjoyed. And he says with a heavy heart and a pained pancreas he'll hand over the title. <laughs> I don't think that they're gearing up for Vince McMahon and Steve Austin at this point. I don't don't think that they know that's where they want to go. So I think there's two things that that take them there. The first one is that Steve Austin got injured. And I think this is what I love about this is that throughout this period where Austin genuinely can't wrestle, what they've been able to do is give the illusion that he wants to. Just the doctors won't let him and Sergeant Slaughter Mm -hmm. won't let him and everybody else won't let him. And so they're keeping him on screen and it's just making him more and more popular. The fact that he can't wrestle and wants to. And I think they only write that Steve Austin versus the authority figure thing in to allow him to continue to appear on screen whilst he's injured and then when they find it just makes it more popular they kind of just roll with it and then of course the second thing is the, the screw job in Montreal which then paints Vince as the ultimate heel in all of wrestling anyway so they just that's when they really lean into it but I don't think by this point they're they're there yet I still think they're kind of just this is their way of covering his absence from the ring for a couple of months but you can see how it made that transition so much easier I yeah, think yeah, is definitely. my point like I, I, I wasn't necessarily saying that they're doing it within a mind to turn it into bins but you can see how that it goes up the ladder effectively mm. do you know what I mean as a result of food and I think, slaughter to some extent and then goes up and I think the idea with slaughter at this point is he's still he's basically playing the same role as Tunney did is that he's basically not a heel or a face he's just the the guy that comes out and gives a ruling and in this case it's we need to 
keep Austin on the on the screen. But then later, obviously, in the year, he's up against DX and their antics. So he's not really, I don't think, there to be either a hero or a face. He's just there to take take opposition to someone who is perhaps, you know, needing to be stripped of a title or make a ruling for or whatever. And because and that builds into the role he's playing with Shawn Michaels and Undertaker later on in the main event. Who's got less charisma? Tony? Slaughter or Linda McMahon? <laughs> I think in this role, Slaughter's not particularly charismatic, but we know that Slaughter had charisma. I'm going to say Jack Tully, I think. Jack Tully's definitely got the least charisma because even though Linda McMahon doesn't, she still has that pop at WrestleMania 17. <laughs> she does. You, yeah. you, can, you, can not, you can't have nothing and, and elicit that reaction. So it's got to be Jack Tully. That's probably but, the least charismatic fairness, person. In fairness, that pop is so loud precisely because Linda McMahon has shown so little charisma that she's mm. been able to stay completely still for three months. So yeah. in fairness, that's actually a direct result of her lack of charisma. But Jack Tully you... never got that reaction, did he? <laughs> no. so. That's true. Can you imagine how hard it was, like in the like video up to the uh, Shane and Vince match? Like Vince McMahon is just screaming in her face. How hard it must have been to keep a straight face. Must have. Just, I reckon she was on Xanax. Was, was it Xanax? Yeah, yeah, is that it? Yeah. Stridex, yeah. wasn't it? Stridex. <laughs> she's, she's doped off on acne medicine. <laughs> Her insides ain't had a spot for 15 years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I really like this. I just thought it was really yeah. good and really great, great to see Austin absolutely in his pomp. Um, after this, we get to Doc Hendricks backstage with Owen Hart and David Boy Smith. Hendricks says that Owen has got to be scared because Steve Austin will come back and get him, basically, eventually. Owen says that JR is a very special friend of his and it's disgraceful that Austin has done what he's done tonight he then says that it was assault and Austin should be put in jail and stripped of the IC belt as well which obviously Austin also held at this point. David Boy then says that though JR is from Oklahoma he doesn't deserve what just happened <laughs> it, was, it was nice I, I like this and, and it, do you know what maybe you want to, do you know what maybe you want to hear? Maybe you want to hear old man's Doc Hendricks impression <laughs> <laughs> oh bloody heck I've done it for so long well here we are then guys I'm just here with Owen Hart and British Bulldog so what do you reckon guys <laughs> Lovely. We then get a pre-recorded interview with the Headbangers, who say they were at the MTV Music Awards recently <laughs> with Marilyn Manson and others, and that they will win the tag team title. I'm assuming they got some good pointers from Marilyn Manson. Then that's the the point of this yeah. interview. Well, he is um he is the master of the camel clutch, apparently. Mm. The least said about that, the better, I think, for legal. Yeah, reasons. and, and, and an awful man, apparently. But uh, yeah. there we go. We then also get one with the Godwins, who say that LOD will be sorry they ever crossed the Mason-Dixon line. Just an interesting take. So, right, these Godwins, we're going to have to get this out now. And I've said this before, they look so naked under their dungarees. It's <laughs> atrocious. Fucking old, um, old naked Midian has got redneck tattooed on his right arm. But that's coloured in in the Confederate flag. Yes. As well. He and loves... Loves a bit of racism. Well, and they, they both had both the Godwins had Confederate flags on their on their knees. Mm. Which I just looked a bit weird. It was a bit like you know, probably racist. Patches for the patches for the holes, wasn't it? That's, that's what it was. <laughs> so the next bit is that Michael Cole is backstage with the Legion of Doom. Here we go. They, well, they say it's been six long years since they held the titles, and that you haven't accomplished anything in the wrestling business until you've won the WWF tag team titles. Then they say some things about the Godwins. So I'm assuming is what you're going to talk about, Tom. Yeah. So Hawk says, Godwins, you come near me with that the slot bucket. I'm going to take your sweaty big butts, stick them both in the bucket, and make a lifetime factory. <laughs> fuck was that all about what was that all about i'm gonna take both of your big sweaty butts stick them both in the bucket and make it a lifetime factory hey eh? don't know mate don't know 
Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to argue it. It's hard to argue because you've got no fucking clue what they're making. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this precedes the fatal four-way elimination match for the vacant WWF tag team titles. Again, as you said, oh man, I think this is the first fatal four-way elimination tag match because they have to talk about the they have to talk about the rules. Again, the triple threat. You look at the combatants. Look at the fucking rogues gallery in here. And I don't mind the headbangers. But fucking Godwins. The LOD, Legion of Dicks. And then you've got Owen Hart and Bulldog for some fucking class. As we found out um, last week, the LOD doesn't stand for Legion of Doom. It stands for Look Out Dummies, according to Bobby Heenan. That's uh, what yeah, it is. Um, so it's the headbangers versus the Godwins versus the Legion of Doom versus Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith. I, 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 I just fucking said that. And you'll be delighted to know that it lasts 17 minutes and 20 seconds, pretty much. Give or take a second or two. I'm not going to go through this because I can't be bothered. And to be honest, this is the first time I even realised that it was 17 minutes and 20 seconds, which makes me believe I passed out at some point during the match. My only memory is that the Legion of Doom get disqualified at some point. That is literally the only memory I've got of the entire match. Can't even imagine what the end was. So I've got here, I've written that somebody and Thrasher, not sure who it is, Davy Boysmith and Thrasher fight outside the ring. The ref is distracted by them. Owen then tries to lock in the sharpshooter on Mosh, but Austin runs out, hits Owen with a stunner, and Mosh pins him to take the title. And I've said Austin's interference was the best bit. So mm. the 17 minutes that preceded it obviously weren't that impressive. Old man, what did you think? So we start off hot because when the old Finkel is doing his intro, he says, this next match has a 45-minute time limit. <laughs> <laughs> now, it- if you if you'd said that this was 45 minutes, I would not have been surprised. I mean, the first four minutes, I think, are just people walking around the ring, looking at each other. And I'm just like, what the fuck's going on? And I think, I think it was you, Tommy, kind of alluded to this. I wonder if these are the cunts that are making the time up for old Chrissy and Putts mm. from earlier. Maybe. I mean, fuck me, just get anyone else to... I'd rather have watched three people take a dump than watch this for 17 minutes. But in fairness, there's not much that you wouldn't prefer. No, that, that is true, to be fair. But uh, you've got the headbangers, absolutely fine. Godwins are fucking terrible. The leaves are doomy, but ain't much better. You've got Owen Hart and the Bulldog on the outside. They're your guys. They're the fucking guys. They must get three or four minutes at the end. Yeah, nothing. And I'm just like, why have you done this? Because it then picks up obviously, because it's Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Even British Bulldog in this state, because you don't look in the best shape. But this is just below the triple threat match in ugliness. I did not like this, and that's being very kind. I like the finish, because as you said, Tinky, it's the best fucking bit. When Austin comes down, the crowd are unglued at this point. 5,000 people make a lot of fucking noise, don't they, when they're excited. But, yeah, no, no. Yeah, (laughs) no. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 not at all. The the best part up until the uh, the Austin run in is a bit when Owen Hart is in the ring and uh, Jerry Lawler says, "Could you imagine the scenes in Calgary? Sixty thousand Canadians, all with the surname Hart, all crowded around the TV in Stu's house." <laughs> Great, it is fucking awful. They spend more time talking about Marilyn Manson's outfit from the VMAs than they mm. do about most of the action in the ring. Yeah, it's fucking crap. Another bit that I quite liked actually though was Tim. 
Tim White puts on quite the performance when disqualifying the Legion of Doom. So, you know, usually when you have the old, I think you, I can't remember if we talked about it or if it was one of the podcasts that you boys did without me. We talk about the, the referees throwing someone out of a match from ringside. Oh, yes. that, that's what he does. He doesn't deliver the usual. No, disqualified, you're out. He gives it a proper, you're out of there. This is brilliant. I thought the good Godwins were in the match for far too long because they get the shit kicked out of them mm-hmm. by the Legion of Doom with their bucket and they should just be out straight away and they should have yeah. six, seven minutes of just the head bangers versus Owen and Bulldog. But yeah, there's not really much else to say apart from the fact that British Bulldog's knee pads are really annoying in this match as well because they're too low. They've fallen down from his... He's got a big knee brace on at this moment so he must have been having some problems with one of his knees but there's no excuse for it the knee pads are just far too low I've just gone through my notes again and the only thing that that jogged my memory in this was two things first of all McMahon's got an incredibly positive opinion of Tim White throughout this match on the yeah. commentary. Yeah, he's yeah. constantly going on about how great a guy he is and how much he respects him as an official. Really strange. And then the other bit of Vince commentary is that he is continuously advertising One Night Only, which is coming in a couple of weeks' time. The UK the only UK, pay-per-view. Yeah. The first UK only pay-per-view, which would end with Shawn Michaels and, the, and David Boy Smith for the European title. But that's really the only notes that I can pick out that then jog the memory, because the rest of it's just... Yeah. There was also something that happened before the match, um, and I don't know if it was bad sound quality or it was deliberate or anything, but Howard Finkel sounded a little bit shook when he was doing the initial ring announcing. And I thought, I wonder if they've made it seem like he's a little bit wary because one of his broadcast colleagues has just been battered by someone. I don't think they did. I think it's probably just bad sound quality, but that was what I thought at the time. You know what? I'd fucking love that if Fink did it from behind like three security guards. Yeah. <laughs> And because he's quite short, but you wouldn't be able to see him. You'd just be able to hear him. Which or is... what I'd quite like is if he, he had two, he had three security guards with him, two in front of him, and he sat on the shoulders of the <laughs> one behind him. Then we get another advert for the Austin VHS advert, exactly the same one as before. They are pushing this hard. That Austin is their mm. cash cow now. Don't let's not um, make any bones about it. Then we get the headbangers backstage celebrating with the fans at one of the uh, one of the bits of the arena. Then another backstage bit, this time with Jim Ross and Commissioner <laughs> Slaughter. J- JR says it's not right and something's got to be done and nobody can trust Steve Austin. JR says that Vince needs to do something about Steve Austin because if this happens again, his ass will be out. He says 316 is really popular, but you can <laughs> you can kiss my 316 ass. <laughs> I was like, what, Jim? Sorry, Jim, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, Jim, what a hero. You know what? Jim Ross is my MVP. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's yours, Tommy. I'm not going to. I'm half tempted because of that line. That line, I'd be in hysterics. Because <laughs> my 316 ass, eh? <laughs> My MVP, by the way, is for Earl because of the because of the sell of how scared he was when uh, Antigua mm. went to chokeslam him. I thought it was like great. It. Then we have Vince and Jerry just doing a little bit of talk about the title match that's coming up before a video package talking about the Patriots' American football career and highlighting his victory over Bret Hart about a month ago. We see footage of the Patriot in Japan where it said he achieved unprecedented success. Which is, I'm pretty sure, not true. But they had, to, they had to build him up some way, which is quite a creative way of doing it, I suppose. You see him in a match with Sabu. Yeah. yeah, but you see kind of, I've got here the main footage they could get their hands on shows the Patriot being beaten up. 
and him um, kicking out of someone's finisher. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. Then we've got Wilkes talking straight to camera about how Bret Hart has been disrespecting America and says he breathed Bret once and he can do it again. But he's kind of talking to camera, but they use some really weird interview footage where you kind of only see like half of his face and it's all blurry and stuff. It's really, really strange. And I was kind of thinking about this. What I thought was really, really weird during this. I was like, they keep referring to him as Dal Wilkes. We know it's Dal Wilkes. Why the fuck is he? a luchador why is he wearing a mask why is he and like because you know what his face looks like i don't, I don't think just, i don't think just because he's wearing a mask makes him a luchador okay but it's, sure. a, it's very much okay it's very much like a luchador mask though isn't it it is quite it's, it is you know, quite it decorative looks, yeah it looks like a luchador mask and i don't know why well it's not very patriotic is it so adopt another nation's kind of look <laughs> i suppose and it's just i just thought it was just really really bizarre like and i said that you know he's doing a, a straight to camera interview where you see his face so why is he wear a mask when he wrestles mm. silly I found the mask mystifying I was just like why and also they put this fucking crap video together there's some guy who won the Heisman Trophy in 1980 which for those who don't know is the best college football player in America that year surely he's winning surely the Patriots winning this after this fucking promo video and the interview with Sonny that we've not got to where? So yeah, yes, there. So that is next. Sonny backstage with the Patriot says he's beaten Brett before and he can do it again. He says anybody from the Hart Foundation tries to get involved, he'll knock them down. Sonny just winks to the camera at the end, and she's just playing to the camera the whole time. And I'm like, oh, Sonny, you you knew fucking Delbert. No one's here to see him, are they? <laughs> fucking Delbert, come on, lad. It's like she knows that the promo he's just giving us really shit. And it's like, there <laughs> we go. Strap yourself in. Before we get to the match, the Patriot itself, the use of the Patriot, I think is really notable here because he's come, come out of nowhere. Like they effectively brought him in you know, earlier that year, basically the summer, I think, of, of, of 97, having previously been in all Japan, where I'm not sure he had the unprecedented success that they talked about, but whatever. <laughs> but it's, it's just fascinating. Like this, again, I think for me, shows a little bit how WWF were really kind of like, we, we've got nobody. We've got, we haven't got a really deep pool of talent in our roster. Here's this guy. He's been in WCW before. He was Buff Bagwell's tag team partner earlier in his career. Oh, the Patriot and Marcus Alexander Bagwell were a team. And we're going to present him as a genuine contender to our world champion and a rival to our world champion. Strange that they brought him in as the Patriot and kept him as the Patriot as well. Mm. They don't usually, they very rarely do that, do they? I think it was because they, they brought him in for the gimmick and the mask, not for mm. him being any kind of a name talent at all. It's just really out there. It's not the kind of thing you'd see WWF do, certainly around this period when they're trying to compete with WCW. And I think even now, you wouldn't see a guy who had been in another wrestling promotion that had been nationally aired come in and within a month get a world title shot on a pay-per-view you know having never really been established like it's not like this would be even even someone like aj styles level from tna this would be like flipping i don't know one of the motor city machine guns coming in and being booked against the world champion in wwf i mean as much as we might want to hear their music tom (laughs) i know that you're doing something else right now tom but tom we need you to sing the song he's on mute so he can't he can't here he goes here he is <laughs> it's Alex Shelley or the other one. Heart for the title of Coming back to the old <laughs> He's just a heater, isn't he? Because it's noticeable, and I wrote this down like when old Bretty H comes out, they ain't booing him. A few of them a non-committal him, but they still love him and I think they need the old Pat to try and keep that heat on him in America because I think people are realising oh Brad's the fucking best isn't he so like 
I think they need to do something. And we'll get to the match, but I think they do a fucking good job of it, actually. We will get to the match, but I want to kind of touch on that because I think it's interesting because I'm wondering whether or not there's an element here of some of the WWF fans who are watching being a little bit nervous about the new direction the company's going in and mm. starting to starting to agree with Brett. Because don't forget, again, similar yeah. to, I've spoken to about this with Vince Russo when he went to WCW, not realising that the WCW fans expected a certain something and what he brought was not it. They He mm. was just bringing WWF light. If you'd stuck through WCW, through all the shit, there was obviously something specific about WCW that you liked that wasn't the same as WWF. Same here. WWF's distinctly number two in North America by this point. WCW are thrashing them in the Monday Night War. They've got all the big stars. They've got all the money. If you are sticking by WWF, that's because you like what they give you. So mm. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a portion of this audience who don't like the new direction and therefore are actually mm. quite pro Bret Hart because he's kind of railing against that direction. Yeah. Also, also there, there are some boos as well, but you, how are you going to boo that? How are you going to boo that? Especially, especially, let's be honest, this is peak Bret Hart ring attire as well. The black, all black, mm. little dashes of pink, Greek jacket. What guy? <laughs> Um, th- there's also some booze for the Patriot as well, scattering of booze yeah. around around the place. So it's obviously not taking quite as they'd hoped it would. So the match itself is for the WWF Championship. Bret Hart defending yeah, against this, the Patriot. There's a promo as well from Bret. Uh, you're absolutely right, there is. So let me go through that then. So there's a promo of Bret Hart backstage by Michael Cole. Hart says that it's not the American Wrestling Federation, it's the World Wrestling Federation. That's what it says on his belt. He says that the, the American wrestling fans don't know what a hero is anymore. He says that... As he beats up the Patriot, he's going to be beating up every American fan who turned their back on him. Yeah. Fucking have it. Yeah. Um, Michael Cole does open this by saying that Bret Hart's preparing for his toughest title defence since SummerSlam. I'm guessing this is the first <laughs> since SummerSlam. So I was a bit like, well, you know what, Michael? I'll take that because you only debuted in June. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise that. me. It wouldn't surprise me if, like you said, it is his first, but also it wouldn't surprise me if he had defended the belt on house show quite a lot in the intervening period. But yes, I'm sure this was his uh, his first televised <laughs> I- 25 years of Michael Cole mm. the WWE lovely it's gone Michael Cole yeah he'll see everyone off in that company he is just the consummate pro isn't he can you imagine what a fantastic selfless lover he is <laughs> so I'm just looking through the results and indeed he did not defend the title once on television between SummerSlam and Indy House <laughs> come on again once again backing up the fact that Michael Cole is the professional <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was not wrong. Yeah, exactly. Not wrong, in fairness. So, yes, the match is for the WWE title. It is between Bret Hart and the Patriot. It's 19 minutes, just over 19 minutes, and it ends when uh, Bret manages to chuck the sharpshooter onto Patriot when Patriot tries to use it against him, and Bret wins by submission, although it's not really made clear that the Patriot is actually submitted, which is a bit strange. Tom, what did you think of this one? Well, it's a Bret Hart match, isn't it, mate? I mean, come <laughs> on, it's going to be great. First of all, I've forgotten the Patriot had Kurt Angle's music, mm. and it was really strange to see someone else I've been cut and go and not hear the you sucks chant I thought was really 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 notable um, and it made me, start, made me think of what other themes have been repackaged and obviously Real American was originally used by Mike Rotundo and who was it some other Barry, 
Barry Windham. Barry Windham, yeah. Have there been any others that anyone could think of that have been reused? Obviously, you could kind of be like, no chance in hell was like a pay-per-view then mm. theme that ended up getting repackaged by Vince McMahon. The, the Hardy Boys theme was originally used in another video package as well. I don't think it was a Hardy Boys video package. I think it was something else. Oh, yes. lovely. I've also uh, remember seeing Ray Mysterio's music, you know, that he used to come down to the one in WCW. The dun 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 yeah. dun used for someone else as well i think so gavin mentioned on the summerslam 91 episode that uh ludwig borger's theme was originally used by the mountie and then the mountie moved on to his the mountie music which was obviously much better i'm trying to think if i can think of any others i don't think there's that there's not loads because obviously you really only tend to do it with themes that are used very briefly by someone and then someone else comes in you're like well that would work for them so i'll use it for them yeah i don't know it seems a waste doesn't it i mean the 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 Patreon music fits Angle just absolutely perfectly. Mm. You can't argue with that at all. Well, not only that, but Kurt Angle, the Kurt Angle original gimmick was kind of a parody of a patriotic wrestler so yeah. it did it fit him perfectly especially at the start actually thinking about it, there's a lot of japanese wrestlers who've had the same generic japanese music that um you will have seen used a number of times yeah well like, like that yeah just like that uh, you know what i reckon i make a good japanese ring entrance music composer <laughs> I, I use Josh Wink, but like, was it Winkathon or something like that? Higher state of consciousness, Josh. That's it. Fucking terrible. Do you know what? I found this match really interesting because I don't think I've seen a lot of '97 mm. Bretts other than obviously WrestleMania 13, which is a big one, and the Montreal Screwjob. I'm not even that familiar with the match at um, SummerSlam because I wasn't on the show that we did, and I don't know if I've definitely watched it, but I don't. I, it's not one that I've gone back and watched many times. It's cracking. Um, it's really interesting seeing good heel Bret Hart. Now we watched Bret Hart in a match in WCW against Sting where he was playing the heel but it was it was not very good. He was kind of crap. Whereas in this one I think he does really good heel stuff. There's a couple of like a couple of little things like he's like slagging off the fans or hiding in the ropes and stuff like that but he still kind of does it all within the confines of the rules of the match. He's just a lot more aggressive and a lot more nasty so like at the beginning of the match the Patriot kind of gets the upper hand but then Bret Hart starts really really aggressively attacking the knee and I think you guys have said he's got such a very, you said before, he's got the most very Varied offense. He, he he attacks the knee in a numerous different ways. He does the figure four around the ring post, which is always pretty brutal, and and it's just really good. The one thing that did boil my piss a little bit, and I'm going to blame this on the Patriot. But he doesn't really sell. He doesn't really sell the leg for very long. He sells yeah. it for a little bit, but then all of a sudden he's fine again. That really really boiled my piss. There's a slight botch though, I think, in the match, which is I think it might be a first in a Bret Hart match that I can partic- particularly remember. But basically, the, you know when you do the Bret was you did this all the time in his matches where you you'd be having like almost your opponent in like a German suplex position and then they'd push against the ropes you'd roll them back for like a pinning combination the, a patriot kind of kicks out of that and Bret Hart stands up really quickly like he doesn't fall forward like I think he's supposed to and in doing so he's supposed to knock British Bulldog down off the rope who's come down at some point during the match so then British Bulldog just to stand up on the ring apron looking gormless for a little bit while Bret Hart <laughs> and the patriot can figure out a way of throwing him into the ropes but there was a there's a lovely snap suplex from the patriot and I'd like to think that he did a snap suplex because his leg was hurt but he was given up selling it at this point it kind of dissolves into chaos again a little bit after this because vader comes down and attacks 
Steve Boysmith and Brett. And for some reason, the Patriots not disqualified because Vader's come down and, and attacks Bret Hart, which is really weird, which Bret Hart seems justifiably annoyed by. But I will say, what about that sharpshooter that the Patriot applies? It's a bloody good sharpshooter. Fair it play is. To, yeah, I it thought is that. absolute cracker. But then... Brett reverses it. Bins holds, as you say here, he holds the sharpshooter in for a little bit longer than he should have. Pulls a great face. So the camera <laughs> angle zooms in on his face. He pulls a lovely face. And then the fans are booing Brett a little bit more at this point. I think he's managed to get the heat onto him. And then he does what he does at the end of the Austin match at WrestleMania 13. Carries on, carries on kicking away at the legs of the Patriot. And these fans are booing him and they're fucking idiots because they didn't even know they're born. Or, or, or are they brilliant because they're doing what they should be doing? I don't know. But he carries on beating up the, pa- the Patriot and has a, hits a lovely, lovely pile driver on him. And then breaks the American flagpole and then chokes at the Patriot with old glory but it goes on for a bit it goes on for a long time this bit and I was like Oof. Do you know I mean, even even for a Brat Hart stand such as myself, this is this is going on for a bit a bit longer than I'd like it to, to be perfectly honest. But overall, I well, thought the match was pretty decent. I wouldn't kill for one, but I would I would very much like one of those Heart Foundation leather jackets. So if any listeners are out there, I've got one knocking around. I'll take it. <laughs> Obviously, as a gift. Yes. Yeah. So I thought the first eight minutes of this were absolute trite, to be honest. It's not being around the bush. The Patriot is nowhere near Brat Hart's level, but they managed to pull it together in. The last 10 or so minutes i think and they managed to have a decent little scrap through all of it and uh i enjoyed the old pat's finisher which is like a um was it a full nelson into like this slam thing looked fucking brutal the two times he hit it on brett the uncle slam brilliant the uncle <laughs> the uncle the uncle slam that's what it is but I, it took me a sec but that's outstanding <laughs> that is outstanding he also hits the patriot missile at a point in this match as well does he? Mm. I'm not sure. I'll be honest, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> oh, Sergeant Slaughter wasn't happy with it either. <laughs> the weapons of mass destruction. What was that? That was there? a match with Davari. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good taste as always. Um, I thought the crowd were really not with this either until Bulldog came down, and then they fucking they got hot and they stayed hot. To be fair, stayed hot for the next eight or nine minutes. When Vader comes out, lovely old job. Always good to see Vader. Seems a waste. Stinky, not... stinky Vader. <laughs> yeah, seems a waste that he's not on the card. Also, seems a waste that Mick Foley's not on the card as well. Mm. I know, and yeah, Davey fair. are tucked away for three minutes in a four-way yeah. tag match. Like, imagine that. Imagine a tag team match with those those lads. You don't need to imagine it. You go what? Go, go back and watch WrestleMania 13 because that's on that card. Oh yeah. Good tinky. Good tinky. So Vince McMahon says at one point, "What were the Patriot pull out of his arsenal?" <laughs> Which made me laugh far too much for a 38 year old man, to be honest. I thought, like I said, the first eight minutes is pretty shit. The last 10 or 11 is pretty bloody good. Bret Hart is my MVP because he undoubtedly, and I, I'm not slagging off the Patriot here, but he gets this match out of him. I think the Patriot could have had a passable effort with someone decent, but Bret Hart really drags him through this. And I like you, Tommy. I really like the post-match stuff. And we'll get to the promo he cuts backstage. That is great shit. Great shit. Fucking, I have that old glory. I'm surprised you look that because you don't usually like post-match shenanigans. No, but hey, maybe I'm a changed man after the break. (laughs) (laughs) The, The thing I like most about this is the planning so i like that they've had the patriot beat brett in a match before brett's had won his title i think that's really cool makes sense then to give him a title shot because he's the last man to beat brett makes perfect sense to me like that 
didn't think much of the match. Thought it was a bit boring, if I'm honest. Mm. I think probably those first eight minutes weighed on me even more heavily than they did on you, old man, and they didn't recover <laughs> from it at all. I also think that the nonsense in the middle with Vader and David Boy Smith is the opposite of what I was talking about with Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. So this is a blatant attempt to set up what happens at the following pay-per-view, which is a tag match involving those four men. And mm. for me, it's a far cheaper way of doing it because with Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, they are, they're going out with a very specific purpose. They take the match to levels of overbooking that you barely see ever <laughs> even vince russo is scared to do this kind of stuff it's just absolutely bonkers with this it's just a really nonsensical bit in the middle of the match that doesn't have any place and should result in as you said a disqualification for the patriot and doesn't because they just decide not to i just didn't like it i thought it was over long i thought it was a pretty poor match i didn't think much of the patriot i'm surprised brett hasn't subsequently complained about the patriot because that uncle slam that he does looks genuinely painful mm-hmm chucks him properly hard down on the floor and uh yeah just wasn't just wasn't for me this i'm afraid well that's all right tiki it's, it's always good to know that you can be wrong sometimes <laughs> sometimes yeah that's the key one <laughs> prick um so <laughs> eventually as you say brett kind of continues to beat him up and then eventually just walks away <laughs> just walks away eventually just gets bored of beating him up between this and the main event we've got uh, michael cole interviewing brett hart brett hart says all the u.s wrestlers are losers he says, you'll notice there's a theme running through this, this show. Austin, The Undertaker, Michaels, and now The Patriot. It's funny how all the losers in WWF are American. And then I went to write something about what David Boy Smith said. And within a few seconds, I'd forgotten it. But I also quite liked it. And so that's why I'd forgotten about it, because I was busy laughing about it before I wrote it down and then never got to write it down. So it's, anyone remember what he said? Yeah, eat the screws. The UK and Canada are going to be winners. I think that's why I was laughing because it was uh, more we we spoke last week about SummerSlam 92 the promo that David Boy Smith cuts which is actually pretty good and this was much more in line with what I expect from David Boy Smith (laughs) on the microphone I really enjoyed Brett's promo Mm. a loser based promo I can't bother with that it's not quite Bill Alfonso and the Japanese losers from East W Heatwave 98 (laughs) that's just basically what he's screaming through the entire thing but a very good loser based promo underrated as a promo oh Brett oh I think so I think he's massively underrated as a promo I've, I've long since thought this when i have seen that uh, interview that he does or promo he does before the owen cage match at SummerSlam 94 i think it's a great little promo i like though this because it really again kind of gave it was for me another really good, good indication of how the creative individual at this time is working really well because you've now got you've obviously got Shawn michaels has just turned heel he's a heel the undertaker's a baby face but brett's neither or both I guess, actually. He's a heel in America. He's a babyface everywhere else. So he's a third way, almost, for the other the other wrestlers. And I, I th- and it works. It's not a tweener. It, that's not what he's doing here. He's a distinct character with a distinct... They're trying to make people react to him in a distinct way. It's just how that what that reaction is is going to be different depending on where you're from. So I think it's been talked about before, but I think it's genius, this whole run from Brett, because it's not just a heel turn. It's a... We still think Brett's a massive draw internationally, so we kind of <laughs> still need to keep him a baby face everywhere else it's really interesting he plays it brilliantly mm. as well he plays absolutely brilliantly because there's no way to look around it he is an entitled grumpy dickhead in that but he because he but everyone else loves him it's so good it's done so well so then there's the video hype for the main event 
uh, features Paul Bearer promising to reveal The Undertaker's secret. Uh, it also sees Taker talking about living with his secret every day. And this is why he hid behind the dead man gimmick. So again, this is kind of their idea that even even though they're exposing the idea that The Undertaker gimmick is a gimmick, there's a reason why he's had that gimmick and it's about this dark secret which has made him The Undertaker. Well, I hated this. Hey, <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's another yeah. example of where they're trying something yeah. different and they're not they're not just sticking to the typical. But we'll talk mm. about that in a minute, because there's also then footage of Shawn Michaels accidentally costing Taker the title of SummerSlam again. And then HBK attacking Taker with a chair on Raw. Taker says that he has taken his blood and signed Michael's death warrant with it. Well, the interview is sat, he's wearing like a, a very formal looking cloak and he's sat in front of a load of candles and it looks like he's taking part in a really crap documentary about a death metal band on VH1. <laughs> <laughs> it's really awful. And the other part is, thinking about it, right, if you grew up with Kane, Glenn Jacobs, your brother, no wonder you set him on fire. He's a cunt. Yeah, ain't that <laughs> a fucking truth. Away from Glenn Jacobs, we don't want to dwell on that too much. I also didn't like the fact that The Undertaker's hair is all puffy. <laughs> this is why you didn't like it then. That's cheap. No, no, I no, no. Did... I didn't even mean it from that respect. No, I, just... I, I didn't like it because he's so out of character and I'm like, nah, fuck off. I don't want that. There's also, did you guys notice the really upbeat kind of chirpy classical music in the background? No. I think they're trying to make it sinister, but it's like, look in the background. It's really, really bizarre. I like the fact that it, the 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 video package starts. How many times are we gonna get? I had that classical song in my head. I was like, the video package kind of starts with his feud with Paul Bearer and Mankind, and then segues into you know his feud with Shawn Michaels. So that was done really well. And it made me think about the fact that this feud with Mankind. Well, it was kind of Vader, wasn't it? Vader, Mankind. He's not really. He's not in a feud with Mankind by this point. It's completely different. No, no, no. But he had been, but it was a more, while before this. Though. Yeah, but, good, but, it was, but it was more a long-term feud with Paul Bearer, wasn't it? Almost yes. similar to Hulk Hogan yes, versus Bobby Heenan. Well, I'll give you. A, I'd say it's more similar to Undertaker versus Harvey Ruffman, Undertaker versus Ted DiBiase. Almost exactly the same. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. But much better with Paul Bearer though. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's true. And not only that, but they've already we're already building the concept of Kane well over a month before Kane's going to turn up. So it's not mm. like he t- he doesn't turn up here. Obviously, he turns up at the next pay per view, and then they're still they're already kind of planning that again that kind of creative is really on point here they are they've got things overlapping you know they're they're preparing Undertaker for his next feud before his current feud has even got close to finishing Mm -hmm. I just think that it's not something that they that they go near or have gone near for a very long time and their creative is really really good at this point so we have one more thing to discuss and that's Shawn Michaels in a backstage promo but he's kind of talking to Vince via video link basically and HBK says that he does that he hasn't slept for 13 years and to be honest he does look like he hasn't slept for 13 mm. years he doesn't look in the best way here. he says he doesn't rest in peace for anybody so a kind of twist on his he doesn't lay down for anybody and says that tonight is the end of The Undertaker's legacy old man I thought you might enjoy that bit in particular yes. that's his promo I'd imagine it's hard to sleep when you've had 13 years on the bag yeah I thought that yeah 
I'd imagine that he's not slept much. I thought this was all right because he's such a cunt and he's meant to be. He, like, he is such an obnoxious cunt in this bit and then his re-entrance. I'm just like, oh, you're a ghastly human being. But then Why? I watch him throw himself around in the ring and I'm like, oh, damn it, you're a good Sean. Why is it that Vincent Mann does the weird interview term? It's like Gary Lineker and Match of the Day when they have these weird interviews uh. with managers every now and again. Like, Why Why did they choose to do that? If they get, they're like, Todd Pettingale, your last promo, well, not, he wasn't, he's not even there. Sonny, your last promo, the one with the pre-trip was so awful, we didn't trust you. Michael Cole, you've only been there for a month and you haven't got your highlights yet, so there's no point in you being on TV. <laughs> like, are they, like, do you, what, what do you think they Vince went to? JR, you got you, you, you and your 316 ass out of here, apparently. <laughs> so why, why can't we do, why can't, why, why Vince got to do it? It's really weird. I just think that they're trying to be, they're just trying to be varied. So they, mm. as you say, Sonny conducts one of the promos, Michael Cole conducts a couple, Doc Hendricks conducts one as well. Then they've got Vince here. I don't mind it if they're just trying to create a bit of variety but I've got no problem with that at all no it's strange I've never seen that before or after and it'd be one of those things I'd quite like because it would kind of make the main event feel more like a big deal if they had mm. that if they had you know rather than I don't know I, I don't dislike it at all I just thought it was weird that there's something they did and, and have seemingly never done again I guess they couldn't get Doc Hendricks to do it because he was probably off fucking flocking used cars or something <laughs> like that hey guys I got a Toyota Prius for sale yeah Um, I quite liked this I quite I like the uh, the gab to the back. I th- I thought this was quite effective, especially because it was very quick and to the point. It reminded me, although it's not the same as when Bret Hart fights. Jerry the King Lawler in your house one and he has the very brief interview with Todd Pettingale mm. oh, my, yeah it is Pettingale isn't it yeah and that's just like the very bit but he's basically just talking to the camera he's not talking like Pettingale's just there being sexy but Bret Hart's <laughs> the real money okay so that is everything that's on this show so what are we going for with our scores out of 10 our overall thoughts I'm going to start with you Tom overall thoughts is that this wasn't great there was a couple of quite a decent decent moments I would not go back to watch this anytime soon I don't think interesting to watch a, a pay-per-view from a from a from a period that I'm not massively familiar with but there's a couple of missed opportunities it felt overly long I would have preferred this if they stuck to the two-hour format for in your house if I'm being honest I felt like there was too many too many drawn out long bits that didn't really matter um the main events the two the two main events I'll call them were, were decent but not not amazing for me I'm gonna give this a four a five I'm gonna give this a five bang average didn't regret watching it but uh, I would not go back and watch it again. And my MVP See, is Jim Ross for his jacket. And uh, my match tonight is a main event. See, I give this a five as well. But I enjoyed the two. Well, I enjoyed the final and the semi-final of the main event competitions much did more you, than you did. What did you think of the quarterfinal and the first prelim- preliminary round? I thought the quarterfinal was absolute dirt. Because that was the tag <laughs> match. And the first preliminary match was Pillman Goldust. Didn't enjoy that either. Mm. I felt like Christopher Mputsky was going to be absolutely ghastly if it had gone on for another five minutes. But the match got abandoned due to bad weather. And that could, <laughs> yeah. could get a winner yeah. out of that one. And then we yeah. moved on to the third round where all the big teams got involved. Yeah, well, they were the big teams as well. And they were immobile. And they walked around a bit. It was not good. <laughs> and yeah, like I know you boys kind of liked it a lot more than me. Like the Max Mignot Sweet or whatever. It's just like, this is two matches that I enjoyed so I would watch the SummerSlam 97 main event the main event to this 
and then the main event of Bad Blood as a little trilogy. And I'd have a lovely time, I think. And I, for that, you know what, I'm going to give it a six because I would revisit this main event, actually. I've talked myself into it. No, a ten. 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 <laughs> no, only a six, you silly sods. We almost had three fives then because I'm giving this a five. For me, the main event was was really fun. And I, I would put it as a kind of recommend, go watch it because I think it's fun. But there's not a lot else to recommend this show for. I don't particularly like the Bret Hart Patriot match. The tag team match was very forgettable and 17 minutes in length which is never good never a good combination the opener was a bit average i thought the i can't even remember what else was on the show the minis match was was good i thought but more from a perspective of it being kind of novel rather than anything else you couldn't i think ultimately what wwf found is you couldn't keep doing this regularly because no one would be interested maybe do it once every year and people like oh yeah these these guys are quite impressive but yeah any any regularity to it and it becomes quite tiresome quite quickly i would suggest so overall there just wasn't a lot a lot to recommend for it except as i said i thought the main event was just a real slice of chaotic fun uh, with a great earl hebner selling sell job of the sphere of being choke slammed right near the end which is great and then that brilliant dive at the end with the undertaker which they've replayed again and again and again because he gets such high on it and he jumps into a load of other people it's, it's just cracking i had a question is that the first time he does it i don't think it is but i can't give an example when no, because they like Vince is like, oh my God, did you say that? And the Undertaker's jumped over a rope. So that brings us to the end of another week's episode. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. So this show went two hours fifty minutes, and this podcast recorder won't be because obviously Tiggy's got a get rid of all my gavel. It's gone two hours forty nine almost, but don't worry about that. What have you got to worry about, kids? You've just got to rate, review, and remember our friend. We know you've missed him, Ken Patera. Um, you haven't said bye to me, have you? So, fuck yourself, Tinky. <laughs> you, you and Delbert can go fuck off. I haven't got there yet, mate. Fucking hell. Oh. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. You and Delbert can fuck off. <laughs> have it. Have it this Delbert. has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week, but until then, take care. Everybody listen up, because I'm about to get my speak on.